World's Finest Podcast, Episode 39. Michael Sims, and with me is my co-host, James Doe. How are you? Better, I suppose. That's good. I guess that's the uh, the way I have to describe it lately is just um, nothing overly crappy happened to me in the last two <laughs> weeks, so hey, I guess that's a, a moral victory. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, when people ask me how I'm doing, you know, like at, at work or something, uh, my response is good enough, and it always kind of stops <laughs> them in their tracks, and they're like, wait, what? And then some people get it and they laugh, you know, but it's like, it's true. It's like, I'm not, I'm not great, but I'm not terrible. So I'm good enough. You know, I'm, I'm good enough to get through my crappy work day. You know? Yeah. That pretty much sums it up right yeah, there. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, so anyways, we're on to Batman beyond. This is awesome. Woo-hoo. Yeah. I'm very excited to be talking about a whole new series. You know, um, and especially a series that I don't think I've seen very much of. What I have seen, I've liked. I've liked it a lot. Um, so, yeah, I'm just super excited to be hitting something and to have that fresh feeling, you know, uh, and not a fresh feeling all over again, sort of like we experienced with BTAS and Superman and Gotham Knights. You know, we were re-experiencing mm-hmm. it. No, for this, a lot of it's for the first time. For me, like the winning edge, which we're going to be talking about later today, I don't know if I've seen this one before. I really don't know if I, I have. <laughs> that's pretty funny because that's one of the few episodes I I distinctly remember seeing before. Uh, and, <laughs> but yeah, I'm just I'm just like you. I can't. I have not seen at least three quarters of the Batman Beyond episodes. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, I'm 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 so excited for this. And of course, as we were talking about off the air, it's uh it's a bit of a little coming home for me. Because the original theme for Earth2.net, the show, was the Batman Beyond theme. I've always had a soft spot for this theme song. So when, uh, not when I launched Earth2.net, the show, because the first two episodes of Earth2.net, the show, um, I don't think they actually had a theme song. But I believe starting with episode three or four, I started using the, the Batman Beyond one. Because I, I, it just kicks so much ass. It gets your adrenaline pumping. It, it's like futuristic, but it's modern, and it's rock, and it's, oh, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> Well, and you had that uh, video behind it with the love, or, or what is it? I'm sorry, like justice, uh, redemption. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the whole thing is great. Yeah, speaking of that, what do you think of that opening package? I love it to death. <laughs> it's 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 great. It's got CGI. It's got real uh, real footage, and it's got you know quote unquote normal animation, and it mixes it quite well. I must say. Yeah, I liked their use of models. Um, I, if I remember correctly, I think that th- that shot where uh, it's Batman, uh, the, you know, the future Batman uh, spinning, mm-hmm. I think that's a model, isn't it? I could be wrong Probably. about that, but I'm 99% sure that head of Bruce Wayne, that bust that spins around, that's a model. Um, it's just real cool, as you said, the way they merge all of it, the CGI, the traditional animation, the, the live action footage. Just Oh, it's, it's so neat. It's so neat. And what I, what I really like is we almost have title cards 
again, just how it we hear that final boom and then it fades to black and then we have the white on black text. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, and the music is still fading out as it goes into the text. Right, yeah. So it's it's not, you know, the title cards from BTAS, obviously, but it's nice to have a little breather in between the theme and the episode itself. You know, it's not laid over the episode. Now, does that stay true for the entire series, or do they kind of stop that and switch to the what they were doing with Gotham Knights and Superman partway through? Do you know? Couldn't tell you, but I'm... I would be willing to guess that it stays like it is good. that we've seen so far. Very good. Cool. So uh, do you want to get into some emails? Sure. First one is from Eric, who writes, Hey, sorry it's taken me so long to hear this podcast, but I went away for a while, so here's my response to episode 36. First, I'd like to just disagree with Mike. Chemistry is one of my least favorite Poison Ivy solo episodes. This is a gripe that James does bring up, but it did bug me a lot. Knowing the way Bruce Wayne is, can you really say that he would be so easily swayed to give up the cape and cowl? The only thing I could say as a result of this episode is it brings Bruce closer to being the grumpy Bruce we see in Batman Beyond. In Batman Mask of the Phantasm, he was still new to his dual life, so that doesn't count. The Veronica Vreeland comment is something I do agree with, though, as I've always thought of Veronica as a bad omen. Every episode she's featured in a villain either attacks or goes back to being evil if they were trying to go legit. <laughs> I enjoyed Beware the Creeper. I know you're not too into the Tim Burton f- Batman films, but I am, and seeing that this episode for the first time, it was a guilty pleasure for me uh, when seeing the origin. Don't worry, Mike. Freakazoid sucked, in my opinion. <laughs> my only gripe with this episode is how it leaves open for more Creeper episodes, and all we get is a couple cameo appearances in the JLU. The line Harley says is, Would you like some of my pie? I'm sure you'll want seconds. <laughs> my, f- But my favorite line in this episode has to be, They call me Yellow Skin Wacky Man, but I prefer the Creeper. Oh yeah, you mentioned that they didn't give an explanation to how the Creeper turned out different from the Joker, even though they both ended up in the vat of chemicals. Well, one, you have to remember Jack was dosed with the laughing gas prior to being pushed into the chemicals, and Joker kept pushing him back in, so there's more exposure to the chemicals. Judgment Day was a pretty good episode, in my opinion, but it felt so out of place in its airing order. I mean, first you introduce the new character, then it has no proper send-off. I know this wasn't meant to air so late. I'm pretty sure they had no idea that they weren't going to be picked up again, so maybe they thought they'd bring him back, like with the Creeper. We also uh, get the ever-loyal John Glover appearing for a five-second scene as the Riddler. So sad. (laughs) You guys have a hell of a point in how the judge could do such things appearing somewhere else so quickly when Two-Face is so close by. Well, at least they ended Superman, the animated series, a a bit better. Legacy is an awesome episode. One of my gripes, and probably the biggest, is that it's just a two-parter. The music score in this episode is amazing. Granted, most of the time is for the the theme for Apocalypse, but it's great. Hardcastle is an awesome villain of sense, meaning sense because he believes he's right, and with Superman turning rogue, his fear is justified. We also see Professor Hamilton's moment of turning against Superman, which, of course, will play a big part in JLU. Another gripe with this episode is Supergirl knows about Batman, Batgirl, etc., and doesn't think to maybe contact them to get help looking for Superman. Also, when the hell did they get uh, did they get uh, the Clark Superman robots? Where did they get the money for that? <laughs> Mike, your gripe about leaving Superman so badly is because they figured they'd be making more episodes, and they had a whole plot for uh, more episodes, some of which they use in Jail and JLU, where Super, uh, Superman tries to win the Earth's trust again. Hey, James, I get what you're saying about Batman not getting involved, but he is keeping tabs. Remember in the Batman Beyond episode, the call, Bruce has kryptonite just in case he went rogue again. Yes, actually, he gets that piece of kryptonite in the Justice League episode. Thank you, Eric. Um, Next I, I want to respond oh. to a couple of things in there. Okay. Uh, the thing sure. about them thinking that there was going to be more Superman episodes, 
I think he might have his information mixed up. Um, uh, during the commentary for, um, I think it's Legacy Part 1, maybe there was a commentary on Legacy Part 2, I don't remember which one it was, but they say, and I, I'm trying to do this from memory, so maybe I'm mixed up, and pardon me if I am, but I could swear that Tim or one of his producers says something to the effect of that they wanted to do that episode earlier, and had they done it, they then would have done a redemption storyline. But I don't remember them saying that any of the stuff that was happening in Justice League was supposed to serve as the redemption storyline. Um, I could be wrong, and uh, maybe Eric was getting his information from somewhere else, not from a commentary, um, and, and I'm completely off my rocker. So if, if I am uh, wrong, anybody write in and let me know. The other thing that I wanted to mention about Hardcastle turning out to have uh, his fears of Superman justified, you know, that's a very solid point. I mean, when you're creating... Um, I don't want to say a villain. Let's just say an antagonist. They should be the type of character that believes that they're right. They're not just... Okay, certain characters can just bounce around and be evil. The Joker is one of them. Uh, Venom, as much as I don't like Venom, he's one of those characters that can just swing in, cause havoc, wreck some shit, and then that's it. But when you're going to have like someone like Hardcastle, who's a general in the army, he has control of armed forces, and he hates these aliens... You have to set him up as the type of character whose anger, whose hatred, whose prejudice is justified in his own mind. And, okay, maybe in Legacy they, they actually did start to do that with him. I don't think we actually addressed it when we were speaking about Legacy. Um, and I'm kind of sorry uh, if we didn't, because I, I think Eric brings up some good points in his email there. Yeah, I still think that uh, they should have put Eiling as the villain in Legacy. That way you set him up for... Your- Justice League Unlimited, but that's just right. me. All right. Next one is from uh, from Wes, who writes, Hello, Mike and James. Greetings from Mexico. I'm up to episode 35 now. I started a while ago when you were in episode 14 or 15. I had I just had one question. What do you guys think about this rumor going around about a type of Smallville show focusing on the early days of oh, Dick Grayson? No. <laughs> if you've already commented on this... Oh, never, I'm sorry. Let's just... Uh, <laughs> no. No. Anyways. I'll defer to Mike on this one because I'm pretty sure I, I, I'm going to agree with him. Yeah, you know, I think Dick Grayson is a very interesting character. Um, I think there are a lot of untold stories with him um, as Robin, as Nightwing, maybe even beyond his life as Nightwing and getting pulled back into the family, sort of like a Michael Corleone type character. You know, every time I think I'm out, you know, they pull me back in kind of thing. Um but doing a teen melodrama about Dick Grayson before his parents are murdered, before he winds up with the Batman, ugh, I just don't see how that's going to be interesting. I think there are some elements that could be cool. You know, having a teen drama about a roaming circus family, that that as a concept is, is cool. But then when you throw in the Dick Grayson aspect... It, it kind of knocks it off its rails for me because you know at some point we're going to start seeing Alfred Pennyworth, the Gordons, uh, Dr. Freeze is going to show up with his wife somewhere, Harvey Dent is going to be there, Selena Kyle, everybody's going to be there except Bruce Wayne. And I don't like that they've done that with Smallville where Clark has met all these villains before he meets them as Superman. What? That doesn't make sense. So why is Dick meeting all these people? As just regular Dick Grayson, or actually DJ Grayson, as they're going to call him in the show, because that's super cool, guys. Get it? DJ. Ha ha. Ugh. Um, 
Tell a story about Robin on his own. Tell a story about Nightwing on his own. Tell a story about Dick Grayson leaving Wayne Manor, but before he becomes Nightwing. So he's not called Robin anymore, and he hasn't found the Nightwing identity. He's just Dick Grayson. There are a lot of stories to be told in that time frame, because that could last, for all we know, a couple of months, a couple of years. And then he returns to Gotham as a whole new hero. But yeah, before the parents died, I, I just don't, I just don't get it. Um, over at the Earth 2.net forums, there's a thread about this. Um, uh, I don't think I've done a lot of ranting in it. I, I don't think so. But there's been a couple of funny posts, and there was one, one of my favorite ones, was a webcomic that someone linked <laughs> to, and it was. I'm trying yeah. to find it real quick here. Pardon, guys. Um, let's see. I'm just gonna read the webcomic. Uh, let's see, uh, Dan Tolan posted this. From the makers of Smallville comes the new drama, The Graysons, featuring a young Dick Grayson before the circus performer's parents are murdered and he becomes Robin, the boy wonder. Seriously. And now, a sneak peek of season eight of The Graysons. And Robin, or excuse me, Dick is saying to someone, I don't know, Corey, ever since Stephanie died and you immediately replaced her, I've been feeling lost. I can't even trust my best friend, Tony Zuko anymore. Look, I don't know. Maybe all those people who tell me incredible and telling, excuse me, who tell me with increasing frequency that I'm destined for great things are right. And then he and uh, this Corey girl, they just kind of pause for a second. And then in the final panel, he says, I'm 25, Corey. My parents still aren't dead yet. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) And that's, wow. that's the problem with that show. We're all going to be waiting for the Graysons to fucking die so Batman can show up and take him away off to Wayne Manor. And, yeah, it's nice to have a built-in ending, but for God's sakes, tell it. Uh, I've said my piece. Let's move on. Um, for fuck's sake, he was eight when his parents were murdered. Exactly. <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, you can play with time a little. You can say he was eight, anywhere between eight and 12. You can pretty much say. But still, still, they're going to have to bump this up. You know, if they're going to want to introduce teen romance, he's going to have to be like 15, 16 years old. So if this show lasts five, six, seven seasons and assume that each season is a year, he's now in his 20s when he becomes Robin? That just seems... Now, okay, granted, on some levels, that seems better than a 12-year-old or even an 8-year-old joining a man <laughs> in tights to fight crime. I can and will freely admit that. <laughs> but it just seems wrong to have, you know, a 20-something-year-old Robin running around with Batman. It just doesn't feel right. I mean, he's Robin the boy wonder, you know, or even the teen wonder, not the adult wonder. So, but that's it. I'm, I'm done with this topic. <laughs> Okay, next one is from Jake, who writes, I'm sorry I haven't commented lately on the podcast, but life has been doing a number on me. I feel your pain. (laughs) Uh, I'll spare you the boring details, but I will say I made sure that I was able to catch up on WFP as soon as I could. After listening to the last few episodes, I have a few things I'd like to point out. While I completely agree with every point made about Brian Singer's Superman Returns being a huge piece of shit, I think you're missing his biggest screw-up. Singer has repeatedly said his movie takes place after the second Donner film. The problem is, Superman 2 ends with the Man of Steel on the lawn of the White House, proudly reassuring the president, I was gone for a while, Mr. President, but it will never happen again. Uh Yeah, unless some scientists find the blown-up remains of his birth planet and he drops everything like a whiny little bitch. (laughs) I'm sorry to be vulgar, but I really hated this movie, and this is coming from someone who thought the Trial uh, trial of the Incredible Hulk was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, flashbacks to the 80s. (laughs) 
Indeed. In your review for New Kids in Town, you both felt the presence of Brainiac in the episode accidentally sets up the character to return after what uh, happens to him, it, in Divided, uh, Divided We Fall. However, I've, I've never seen uh, that being the case. If you follow it chronologically, New Kids, of course, came first, introducing three of the Legionnaires and giving a glimpse of the others during Saturn Girl's explanation of Clark. Then years later came the whole Cadmus arc with Luther and Brainiac. But the season after that happened, uh, or featured the Legion again. Although this time the characters were very different. I feel because of what happened in JLU season two, there was a butterfly effect that not only changed Brainiac's destiny, but altered the Legion as well. And if you want to go even further with speculation, because Brainiac merged with Luthor, perhaps that was the DNA combination that eventually resulted in Brainiac 5's existence many years later. That's an interesting thought, actually. Because yeah. I, f- I forgot about Brainiac 5, because he, he's organic. Mm-hmm. Um... Hmm, very interesting. Uh, finally, at the risk of pouring salt on an open wound, I just want to briefly point out uh, something that hap- uh, something that I saw while watching The Brave and the Bold Part 1. In it, we see the Flash's origin in a flashback, him being a police scientist who was given uh, his powers from a lab accident. Unfortunately, he was grown up when it happened. As much as I'd love, uh, I'd love that he got it when he was, oh, let's say a teenager, the fact remains he started his career fully mature. However, I do think a certain cartoon belongs in the DCAU, <laughs> and I fully support you guys 120% on that. I just hope I was careful enough to word this without inflicting any unnecessary pain. No worries, Jake. Keep up the good work, as always, and thanks for sharing your love of these cartoons with everyone. Okay, next one is from... Oh, from the other George W. from Earth2.net forums. Hey, guys, I've been re-listening to the episodes, and one thing always jumps out at me. People who keep saying that Teen Titans is not in continuity... Hmm. I have to ask those people, do you really want the podcast to end sooner? I'm not going to total it up, but it's at least ten episodes of the podcast. WFP is one of the most entertaining podcasts to be transmitted via tubes, (laughs) and the fact that it has a set ending makes me sad. That you want it to end early just so you can be right about a continuity controversy makes me angry, and you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Looking forward to Batman Beyond, and don't trust midget grizzly bears wearing tennis shoes. (laughs) Um, Let me respond to that. Um... I believe I said this over at the forums, uh, but this is how it is. If we were to skip all the cartoons that uh, either some of our listeners deem out of continuity or crap, that being Static, Zeta, and Teen Titans, (laughs) you guys would lose out on 28 episodes of World's Finest Podcast. Over a year of podcasts. Because we're a fortnightly podcast... Think about that. That means you're losing over one year of the show. Gone. Just like that. Okay, final one today is from Christopher, who writes, Hey guys, first time I've contacted you, I've listened to the entire archive at this point, and went back to uh, Earth2.net, the show number 233, to hear about Mike's home invasion. Uh, I listen to WFP at work while uh, when I'm flying solo. I remember Mike talking about one particular officer and being surprised that the guy loved comics back in the day. Believe it or not, a love of superheroes isn't unusual among law enforcement. I'm a police officer of three years now, and I'll unashamedly ad- uh, admit that I go to my local comic shop in uniform before work to pick up my books. It probably wouldn't be, or I probably wouldn't be in this line of work if not for growing up on Superman, Spider-Man, Green Lantern, and Captain America. My brother gave me a Green Lantern ring when I finished the Academy, and I still wear it to this day. Very cool. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. you, you got to write in and let us know if you uh, wear it while you're on the job or if you, uh, you know, only wear it when you're off duty. Because that'd be awesome if you're busting some thug while wearing the power ring. <laughs> 
and then you bust out the oath. That would be <laughs> hardcore right there. Yeah, instead of reading the Miranda rights, you do the Green Lantern oath. Oh, my God. <laughs> Tell me that wouldn't be one of the most badass things ever. Yeah, and then... Criminal's like, huh? And then when the guy's, you know, he's on trial and... The, and uh... <laughs> has to go testify the what do you call it the crook's like he didn't read me my Miranda rights read me this this oath that would be cool oh lord that would be great anyway just felt the need to mention this on topic though I was wondering if when you get to Return of the Joker uh, you'll review both versions of the film or at least discuss the editing uh, neutering of the film love the podcast Officer Christopher Greer Birmingham Alabama P.S. Is there any way I could ever persuade you to update the podcast opening music? I love the animated series theme, but it's getting kind of tired. No. <laughs> uh, I, I know everybody's been bugging me about this. I know James himself. Including me. Yes, James himself <laughs> um, wanted to change the opening theme music to the shared Superman-Batman theme music. Uh, when those cartoons started airing at the same time. For a while, I did have the idea of using the opening theme music of the cartoon we were reviewing uh, for however many episodes that lasted, but ultimately, I like having one set theme, and because I love the BTAS theme so much, because it was the first one, I feel it's appropriate for our show. So, sorry guys, it's not going to change. Sorry. Um, as far as Return of the Joker goes, we're going, we're obviously going to review the uncut version, and uh, yeah, we will. I'm sure we'll end up discussing things that were edited out uh, of the PG-13 uh, uncut version. It's worse than I thought. It's some kind of new DNA mutagen. Powers is making nerve gas. He's using my company to make nerve gas. Stay away from that. Synaptic controls. Neuromuscular amplification, flight capability. <laughs> this thing might be old, but it's still cutting edge. Bet it amplifies your strength by at least ten to one. I told you not to touch it. But aren't you gonna go to... No. You built that company. And now Powers is making nerve gas there. You gotta do something. You're Batman. I was Batman. Give this to Commissioner Barbara Gordon. Tell her I sent you. The cops? They'll never be able to... Do it. Something happened to you, didn't it? And it wasn't just that you got old. First up today is the premiere episode of Batman Beyond, the two-part rebirth. What happens here, first off, uh, we see Gotham City roughly in the early 2000s. Um, I believe it was maybe 2003. I can't remember for the life of me. Do They, they don't actually but, say a date, though, do they? Well, they give, they give a... Uh, a, like, Terry's birth date is 2023, the year 2023 or something like that. that, so, that, I just, I wikied oh. Terry McGinnis. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, so, I, and because they say that Gotham has been without, uh, Batman for 20 years after the opening events of right. this episode, so, I'm just kind of guessing on okay. it, but anyway. Cause, anyway, hang on, because what yeah. I thought happened was, I thought, th okay, this was my little made-up timeline, is, Justice League ends, or excuse me, Justice League Unlimited ends. Then, like, about 15 to 20 years passes, and then we get the opening scene of Batman Beyond with Bruce in the Batman Beyond suit with the gray hair. And then mm -hmm. another 20 years passes, as it says on the screen, thus making old man Bruce, that we see later in the cartoon, roughly 80-ish years old. That's what I was thinking, because... Um, 
mainly because during one of the commentaries, I, I don't remember where I picked this up, but I could swear I heard Tim or Dini or someone say that Bruce was supposed to be about 80-ish. So that's why I was thinking it would spend 20 years since JLU and then another 20 from that opening scene. But I don't know. Yeah, yeah Bruce is definitely in his 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, here it is. Terry was born in Gotham City uh, August 18th, 2023. Yeah. So if we assume that Justice League ended in the 2000s, um, that is kind of strange that Bruce would just automatically have gray hair. Yes, I, I, unless they say his birth. Well, maybe they do say his birth date on screen. Or maybe ju- maybe Justice League was supposed to have taken place in the 90s. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. But anyway, the, the, the fact of the matter is Old Man Bruce is supposed to be about 80 years old. So we kind of do have to subtract, I would say, 40 years off. And say mm-hmm. that's at least where Justice League ended. You know, he's about 40. That makes sense that he'd be about pushing 40 during Justice League. Um, yeah. So then another 40 years passes when we get to Batman Beyond. So that's why I was filling in that second batch of 20 years. Again, allowing time for him to get a little bigger. You know, his body, you know, it's not as fit as it was in those other cartoons. Um, the gray hair, the kind of uh, older face. And all this and that. So, but who? Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It could be thirty years, forty years. Ultimately, you know, whatever. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the uh, the intro scene here, which is kind of strange because this is our first uh, exposure to an episode intro, and then we get the opening music montage, and then the episode continues, mm-hmm. which is what will happen in Justice League, of course. But this first time, I believe that it happens in the DCAU. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens here is the daughter of Veronica Vreeland has been kidnapped for ransom by uh, some un- See, unknown hang group on. of men. That's another point. reason why I was jumping ahead 20 years, because this girl is at least 16, Bunny Vreeland. Mm-hmm. She's anywhere between 16 and, tw- and 20. She's a young woman. So that means it has to have been at least, okay, let's say 20 years since the last time we saw Veronica. Let's assume she gets married to another guy that's not a plant person. She has Bunny... And then 20 years passes. You see what I'm saying? And then yeah. another 20. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's that's another place where I got my 20-year time span. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll try to keep mom. <laughs> so, yeah, she's been kidnapped for ransom by, at this point, an unknown group of men. And uh, I believe once they get their money, they just say, okay, shoot her. Mm-hmm. Um, and as one of the guys prepares to shoot her, Batman shows up in a high-tech suit and prevents it from happening, but he's having what appears to be close to a heart attack. He's having horrible chest pain, and it's preventing him from, you know, taking out the last uh, goon. And this goon picks, uh, just starts beating the crap out of him with, like, a pipe or a a crowbar or something. I think is what it is. Yeah, it was a wrench, you're right. Um, And... Bruce has to do the unthinkable. He has to pick up a gun and point it at the thug to get him to stop just beating him into a pulp. And after he runs away, the thug runs away and gets captured by the police. And Bruce starts hobbling away, and he's still holding the gun. And he looks at the gun and just has this... He rips the mask off and has this moment of utter disgust. And we go back to the Batcave, and he puts this the suit into the... Uh, case with the rest of the uh, the costumes from years past, and he just says never again. So this is where we get our twenty year fast forward, and we have the intro to the uh, to the episode. 
And we see that Gotham has been without Batman for 20 years. And uh, apparently a guy named Derek Powers has taken over Wayne Enterprises during this time. And the company is now called Wayne Powers. And in the next scene, we ha- uh, see some punk dressed up as a clown causing trouble in a subway. And he starts accosting this woman when another teenager, one Terry McGinnis, uh, just starts beating the guy up more or less. He just kind of throws him into the into a TV screen several times. And uh, he he gets the guy to run away. And uh, just as, as the guy runs away, he just goes, jokers. So after this, uh, Terry's, we see, we're introduced to Terry's father, Warren, um, who has received an urgent message from a coworker named Harry. Um, and it should be noted, both of these guys work at Wayne Powers. And when he goes to meet, uh, uh, meet Harry, he finds all these black lesions just all over his arms. And Harry gives Warren a, a disc with some really classified information before some men under the employ of Derek Powers take him away. Now, Powers uh, calls Warren into his office the next day to clear up any confusion about Harry's whereabouts because, he want, of course, he wants to know where he is. Um, Powers gives him some bullshit story about him being okay. He's just getting medical treatment and yada, yada, yada. He, uh, as uh, Warren is, is leaving... Uh, t- Derek asks where if he knows where a disc is that's somehow missing from Harry's files. Now, Warren denies it, of course, but uh, Derek knows that he has it. Um, so later, he actually looks to see what's on the disc, and he just he becomes just petrified by what's going on in this company. Now, we don't know what's going on at this point, but it's something to freak him out really badly. So Terry shows up... Uh, saying he's leaving, but Warren forbids this because he was grounded or something. I can't remember. Yeah, earlier we uh. see Terry wrestling at school, and uh, what's his name? Nelson Nash, his rival, uh, spits in Terry's face. So Terry mm-hmm. slugs him right there on the wrestling mat. The coach breaks up the fight, and he says, Terry, you go home. I don't care what Nelson did. You threw that punch. Get out of here. So his dad had no choice but to ground him, and, of course, Terry acts like a douchebag to his dad. Yep. So Terry and Warren have a, a war of words, really cir- uh, circling around Warren and uh, Mary's divorce, Mary being his mother, of course. Um, now, at, he leaves, but outside we see uh, Power's number one guy, <laughs> Mr. Mister Fix, uh, looking in on, on their household. And now he sees that Warren is alone, and he just uh, has this really, really evil grin. Um in the next scene, we have a the the nightclub that will be we will see several times over the course of this series. Um, and Terry meets up with his girlfriend Dana uh, when when uh, Nelson arrives and butts in and hits on Dana. But before Terry and uh, Nelson can really get into a, a like a fist fight, a gang of jokers arrive and they start tearing shit up all over the place, causing all kinds of havoc. Terry fights some of them off, and he actually holds his own pretty well, but then a bunch more come, and he's forced to flee on one of their motorcycles. Now, he's, yeah, as he drives and drives, they, they still manage to stay close somehow, and uh, Terry ends up going down this old, really beat-up, rarely-used road, and he avoids running over an old man, but crashes into the gate. Uh, the Jokers corner him up against the gate, and then, of course, the old man is revealed to be Bruce Wayne. Uh 
Terry and Bruce actually manage to fight off the gang, but Bruce collapses again from his weak heart. Uh, Terry ends up helping him inside. He gets him his medicine. And as Terry tries to call his father to tell him what happened, he, uh, he notices a bat trapped in the grandfather clock. As he opens it up, he finds the staircase leading to the bat cave. Bum, bum, bum. Upon seeing the costumes he uh, and learning Bruce's secret, Bruce... Uh, attacks him really and just th- throws him out. I got. Let me jump in yours real quick. I love surly old man Bruce. Oh yeah, just, just beating everybody down with his cane because that's what he did to Terry too. He beat up the Jokers with his cane and then he just hits Terry with it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt again. I'll go mum again. No, it's okay. Um, you know, like I said, Bruce attacks him, just throws him out, and uh, when Terry arrives home, he sees uh, policemen everywhere in the. Uh, the the building taped up, and when he gets into his house, he sees a bunch of ha-ha-ha graffiti all over the walls, and it's revealed that Warren has been killed, and they uh, have to assume that the Jokers are responsible for this. Um, And this is where we're uh, introduced to Mary McGinnis, Terry's mother, and Terry, uh, Terry blames himself for his father's death because he feels that if he had been there, he and Warren could have fended them off together. But he was too busy running off being a jackass and, you know, uh, and disobeying his father outright and, you know, he blames himself. And shortly thereafter, Terry looks at a photo of his dad in a, in an old pi- uh, broken picture frame and he finds the disc that, uh, Harry gave to Warren earlier. And he starts looking at it and being a smart kid, he know, you know he knows a lot about high tech, uh, just tech, really advanced technology. He knows what all this stuff is, and he has he decides to uh, go back to to Wayne for help because, as it's going to be revealed in the beginning of the t- second part of this episode, it's going to be it, Powers is developing some kind of highly effective nerve gas that just basically dissolves a living cell completely and turns some any living creature into dust. Um, so anyway, yeah, Terry goes back to Wayne Manor and he uses the intercom and Bruce just ignores him. But Terry just starts saying, look, this something's going wrong with your company. And, and Bruce keeps ignoring him. And fi- he finally just says, I knew you wouldn't help. You're no Batman. And that's when the gate opens. And that's when the first episode ends as the first or as the second episode begins. This is where we're uh, Bruce reviews the data on the disc and. He finds out that it is a nerve gas, and he is just livid at what is going on. Now, meanwhile, while this is going on, Terry is over looking at the at the high tech bat suit, you know, naming off all of the cool things that this suit has, uh, you know, synaptic controls, flight capability, and yada yada yada. And Bruce tells him to get away from the suit, and he tells him to take the disc to Commissioner Barbara Gordon. Um, Terry and Terry is like the pol- he he can't believe that Bruce is saying this because the police the police are apparently really chummy chum with uh, Derek Powers and he doesn't think any of them can be trusted. Terry wants Bruce to do something about it himself, but Bruce refuses and so Terry just leaves. Um, as Terry is walking down the street, or I guess, is it after he leaves the manor where Powers? Yeah, I believe Powers and his henchmen nearly run him over with the limo. Yeah, Terry is in the city proper by this point, and yeah, the limo just comes flying right in front of him, blocking his uh, getaway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Powers demands the disc, and 
Terry just barely manages to escape with his life, and but he knows that Powers is going to be looking for him. Um, so after this, we have, I believe it's the some kind of minister of commerce or something from Kaznia uh, arriving in Gotham, greeted by Derek Powers, of course. Um, so after, Bruce is watching this on TV, and he knows nothing good ever comes out of Kaznia, <laughs> so... <laughs> So he's he's even more pissed off at this point. Um, but he then hears Ace barking outside, and he looks out there and sees that Ace is tied up to the gate. Bruce then throws a batarang out the window and releases Ace, uh, showing that he still has it. Mm-hmm. And Ace runs into the mansion, just starts barking at the grandfather clock, and Bruce opens it up, and they go down into the back cave, and they see that the new suit has been stolen. Uh, Bruce, at this point, is about as angry as you can imagine. Terry's, like, just goofing around with the suit, just fumbling all over the place, trying to fly it, and, uh, he flies towards the Wayne Tower, uh, the Wayne Powers, uh, building and eavesdrops on, uh, on the conversation between Powers and the, the Kaznian guy. Uh, it's at this point where Powers starts showing uh, what this gas, this nerve gas can really do. And apparently it's so gruesome that they can't even show the photos on screen. <laughs> wow. Um, even this Kaznian guy is just, disgust- is just like, yeah. <laughs> so he's, but it, you know, and in that, this guy is impressed because he knows he can use this to wipe out his enemies in Kaznia. After the guy leaves, uh, Powers, is just he's still concerned that Terry McGinnis is alive, and Mister Fix tells him uh, not to worry. He'll go. He'll be. I mean, he he killed Warren McGinnis. He might as well be the one to kill Terry McGinnis too. And yeah, and Terry. Though, I'm sorry. I was going to say, even though we know that Mister Fix killed the dad, this is where Terry figures it out that it wasn't the Joker's. It wasn't his fault at all. To this point, we've been hearing over and over again that Terry's. Uh, temper is what's getting him in trouble all the time, and he he really wants to just bust in there and just kill these guys. But uh, on on the rooftop or the ledge that he's on, a bunch of guards manage to hold him up. But he then he just he jumps off the uh, the building and flies away. At this point, I think is when Terry just flies into the where into like a warehouse uh, owned by. In the in the compound, the, the uh, Wayne Powers compound, and mm-hmm. he starts fighting the guards. And Bruce, uh, he activates the comm link inside the cowl and demands him to bring the suit back. But Terry refuses, and so Bruce activates the kill switch on the suit, which paralyzes Terry. And the guards, whom to this point Terry had been just beating the crap out of, start to really just kick the shit out of Terry. He is completely helpless, and... At, finally, Terry says, they're going to kill me, Bruce. And I think Bruce hears the shotgun being cocked, and he activate, reactivates the suit just in time to save Terry from uh, not being killed. <laughs> um, so with the power, you know, he has the power back, and he just starts kicking ass again. Uh, Bruce then tells Terry of the just this escape route in the building, saying, How'd you, you know, he was like, how'd you know? I, I built it. <laughs> um, and Terry just, at this point, Terry wants to, 
he wants to stop this transport of the nerve gas from going on. And Bruce again is like, no, bring the suit back. But then, but Terry manages to convince Bruce that, look, this, this needs to be stopped. Somebody's got to stop this. The police aren't going to do it. I've got to do it. So Bruce, and he also says, adding it, this is the only chance I have to catch my father's killer. Mm-hmm. And Bruce gives in. He, he tell, he lets him, he tells him where the hover docks are. And he tells him, go. You know, he doesn't say anything, but he says, "Go do what you got to do." Yeah, I, I like that because we know that Bruce never caught his parents' killer ever, at least in the DCAU. You know, mm-hmm. so that's always going to haunt him. He is never going to catch that guy. Chances are, by this point in time, the guy's dead. But that still doesn't do anything for Bruce. So he has to allow Terry to have that moment if Terry is going to have any semblance of a normal life. Yep. Um, so Terry makes his way to the hover docks, and more fighting ensues. Um, Fix gets into the hovercraft and takes off with all of the the nerve gas, and Power stays behind to kill Terry. But Terry manages to puncture one of the gas canisters that was left behind. I'm sorry, no. Terry no, actually throws the gas right. canister, and Power shoots it, mm-hmm. and then and then that. All the gas gets all over uh, Powers, so he's been exposed to this lethal nerve gas. And Terry goes after the hovercraft, and he eventually manages to uh, overcome Mr. Fix. And the uh, hovercraft goes and crashes into the ocean, and Fix is trapped inside it, and he he drowns. And yeah, after this, I can't remember which scene comes. first. First, um, Bruce at I, I, Bruce at Terry's is, place. Yeah, that's right. Bruce uh, Bruce goes to Terry's house and uh, offers him a part-time job, and uh, it's he says you'll be working a lot of late hours. And uh, Terry Terry knows exactly what he's talking about, of course, and he he accepts. And we now have the new Batman. But the last scene of this episode uh, takes place back at the Wayne Powers building. Um, and Powers is having to be exposed to intense radiation to stave off the effects of this nerve gas. Um, now, it saves his life, but the radiation apparently combined with the mutagens in the, in the nerve gas and has turned Powers into this super-powered radioactive being. And uh, the last thing we see as the episode ends is him looking at himself in the mirror laughing maniacally. So that's it. Yes. <laughs> um, before we say anything else, I want to say that Bruce's final line of this episode, after Terry accepts, is so badass. Just the way he's like, very good then, Mr. McGinnis. Welcome to my world. And it's like, <laughs> wow, like that is powerful. Because there was a part of me that was hoping that, and I, I knew he didn't use the line because I, I have seen this episode before, but I was hoping that he repeated that spiel he gave to Tim Drake about rule number one, rule number two, rule number three, I make the rules. And then, of mm-hmm. course, that's when Grayson showed up and said, watch out for the last one, kid, blah, blah, blah. I, I would like to have seen that repeated, but this line is almost more badass than that line. Just as Bruce Wayne, in front of Terry's mom even, welcome to my world. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of glad they didn't do that because they try throughout this series to show that Terry McGinnis is not a sidekick. He's his right. own Batman. Yeah. So, 
that kind of would have thrown a wrench into that. But I do see where that could have been really cool, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, what are your thoughts about this episode? Um, wow, mm-hmm. just stellar from beginning to end. Yeah, I, I, they did everything in this. They have done. I mean, they set up the entire series just perfectly. Yeah. with this episode, um, they established the core characters. They reintroduced us to Bruce Wayne, who's now you know like in his eighties probably. They gave us a new Batman. They gave us. A taste of what the suit's going to do, but not everything, because we know that the suit has many more capabilities, which they'll reveal, uh, you know, one by one by one. They introduced uh, introduced us to the main villain of the series, and and they turned him into something that looks really, really deadly and is going to cause Terry a lot of problems. <laughs> yes. So yeah, they they really they did everything that you could ask of a debut episode. Yeah, you know, I'm at the point where with comic book media, be it actual comics themselves, movies, TV shows, cartoons, whatever, I'm almost sick of the origin story. Like, let's just accept that the hero or villain has had his or her powers for a while or has had his or her training. Let's just move on and see them doing their thing. Let's not go back to tell that origin. You just don't need to see it all the time. Mainly because origins aren't always done well. They always come off as kind of forced. But this origin comes off so great. They they took the right amount of time, two episodes, to tell everything we needed to know about Terry that led him to this moment in time. Him grabbing that suit and going to bust some ass. And it it just it just succeeded on every single level. I mean, I have very few gripes with these opening two episodes here. Um, yep. Really, I'll get my gripes out of the way right now. I'm not a big fan of Terry's little brother. Oh, God. I, I don't like that. Um, and I'm trying to think. What, oh, I would have liked to have seen more of the relationship between Terry and his dad. Because, you know, okay, we understand why Terry feels bad after his father dies. He mouthed off to his dad, and then the guy died. You know, the last thing he said to him was a snarky, very hurtful comment. But I would have liked to have seen the good times with the dad, too. Even if it was just one scene of them getting along, not them, as you said it, having a war of words. Um, But regardless, everything else about this episode was almost spot-on perfect. Yeah. I mean, I I don't even know where to start. I mean, all my notes are just little things like, oh, I like this. Oh, I like that. Oh, I like this. <laughs> um, I'm gonna start with the music. Mm, yes. This, th- the music in this episode was just so unique. It was so cool. Um, it, I'm trying to think of the scene it was. I think it was when. Oh, let's see, what was it? I believe it was the second time we see Wayne Manor in the first episode. Um, and Terry's walking up to it. Uh, maybe that was it. The music in that is like, it's like straight out of American McGee's Alice. Mm-hmm. Or Return to Castle Wolfenstein with like the, uh, where you're sneaking around in the dark fighting, uh, trying to elude zombies and stuff. It was just so dark and scary. It was great. Yeah. Um, and then the music where Terry discovers his father's murder scene. That was some intense music. Yeah. I just, I, 
I, I can't say enough about the, the score in this episode. It was just brilliant. Yeah, and what I appreciate about the music here is all the music we've had in the DCAU to date has been mostly orchestral. You know, mm-hmm. and now there's a rock and roll vibe to it, a techno vibe to it. And it's so different. It sets up. The, I mean, we know it's in the same world, but if you were to just listen to an episode of BTAS, just listen to the music. And then you listened to an episode here again, just the music. You could tell they were in the same world, but years apart, if not decades, as of course they are. Oh, yeah, because and they have acoustic guitars, too. Mm. Which is very strange because that's not something you expect in these in these uh, series. Right. But I mean, and it comes into play when Bruce, in the very end of the second episode, where Bruce is uh, offering him the job, you can hear the acoustic guitar playing behind it. It's like a teen drama show, <laughs> like you know, like God, like a Dawson's Creek or something like that. But that's exactly what it it reminded me of. But mm. I think it did fit in. I, it was real. It was kind of neat. It was. I love that unique kind of feel to it that we haven't seen in I- any of the previous uh, three series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, another thing I loved, loved. Ooh, I almost said loved, loved about <laughs> this episode, or you know, these these two episodes really, was there are so many great lines. Yes, I've already gushed over Bruce's "Welcome to My World," but like when. Terry first sees, sees Ace for the first time. He's like, nice dog. And Bruce is just like, not really. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow, okay, yeah, we know what Ace is all about. He really is a guard dog. Um, oh, yeah. And then there's the thing where the Jokers, the lead Joker, I should say, is getting in Bruce's face, and he says, uh, who do you think you're talking to, old man? We're the Jokers. And Bruce is just like, sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there's more lines that I just, I just don't feel like rattling off right now but it's like they knew they had to knock this one out of the park if they were going to grab the fans because they were trying something so different here this i mean yes bruce was still around but he wasn't batman anymore there was this whole new kid in town and if they didn't grab the viewers right away this show would have died within episodes it would not have lasted as long as it did and it wouldn't have the fan following it did either and i think they did exactly what they set out to do they hit a grand slam with this one yeah and another another thing that had to be spot on was the voice acting and there's another one they just will friedel is awesome he is perfect as terry mcginnis i I can't imagine anybody else doing his voice yeah um and another thing that's great about this intro is the maturity level it's Wow. I, besides the child molester and the biker pedophiles, I think this is more mature than anything we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Just go back to the uh, scene where Powers and that Kaznian minister guy meet up in the office, and he's showing him videos of this gas being used on living things, mm-hmm. and the guy is just recoiling in, in not fear, but he's just like, ugh. And then he shows them the pictures of Harry just dissolving away. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow. They can't, it's so bad they can't even show it on screen. Yeah, and I appreciated that. I mean, I'm not saying I wanted to see it, but I appreciated the fact that they relied on the facial expressions of the the, the, the politician or whatever he was from Kaznia. They, it, 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 that whole scene is sold. On facial yes. expressions. And I love that guy's facial expressions. They went all out with the animation there. In fact, 
when you look at the animation on his face and then when they cut back to powers, it, it seems, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I wish they would have animated the whole series or at least all the faces in that same style as the guy from Kaznia. Cause you cut back to powers and it's like, uh, it's, it's not as good as the other guy's face. <laughs> <laughs> but, but as I said, that face had to be more expressive to put over those photos and that video that he was watching. Cause if, they didn't make it uh, all twisty and turny and just, ew, we wouldn't have felt anything. But we, even though we didn't see anything, we feel like we did. We feel dirty for having been in that room. Oh, yeah. yeah. And to, like, uber DCAU geeks like us, when you see a guy from Kaznia mm-hmm. recoiling like that, yeah, that adds a whole new element of, oh, my God, right. to it. Exactly, exactly. Um, I got to say, Bruce fending off the Jokers as old man Bruce, just with his cane and Terry at his side. Oh, love it. <laughs> and I, my favorite part of that fight is at the end where instead of backfisting the Joker, he back canes the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but then you end up feeling bad for Bruce too. I mean, normally, you know, Bruce Wayne isn't a character we really feel bad for because he is the badass. We know that even as he's bumbling around Really, he's Batman inside. But now, he's still got the bat in him, but he is that fragile old man that we never thought we'd see, that he never thought he'd see. Um, you know, Batman always thought he'd go down in in battle. And the yeah. fact that he's lived this long is a surprise to him. And you know it's got to kill him to be fragile like this and to have to have Terry, some kid he's never met before, carry him up. The, the, the walkway to Wayne Manor is killing him inside. So you just watch that scene and you feel so bad for old man Bruce. Um, yep. And it's not like he says or does anything that really requests your pity. Because you know he doesn't want your pity. It's just the way he's animated, the way they wrote it, that you're like, oh man, poor Bruce. Poor Bruce. You almost wish he would have died in battle. You know, yeah, it's, more it's, or less. It's sort of like... You know, for Star Trek fans, it's like seeing an old Klingon. You know, Klingons are supposed to die honorable deaths in bloody battle. They're not supposed to get to be 80 years old. They're just not. And Bruce Wayne is one of those peoples like a Klingon. Mm. I gotta say, uh, one of my favorite, uh, just things about this episode was, uh, Akira. Yes. Yes. That, that was, if, that was so clearly taken from Akira, the motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, chase scene. It's it's so obvious, but I mean it, the bike designs yeah. are exactly like um, uh, Pineda's. I thought it was yeah. wait, Tetsio. No, no, Tetsio is the kid that becomes the gooey guy, right? Yeah. Okay, and then what's the other kid's name with the jacket and the motorcycle? Shotaro Kaneda. Okay, pardon me, pardon me, I got confused. Yeah, but um, yeah, I love that. That was it. Was just so. It was just cool that they had they drew from one of the most famous anime movies ever made. Mm. Uh, to but you know of course there's a lot of Japanese inspired animation in this series, not the least of which is the nightclub scenes. Really? I mean, well, with the it's to this point we haven't seen. Uh, I think it's the maybe the color schemes, but it just seemed really Japanese inspired to me. But well, I, I mean, be you would know better than that. That's why I was asking. You know. Yeah. It seemed like it to me anyway. Okay. And when we get to Return of the Joker, it really it really looks um, yeah. anime-influenced. But uh, more on that when that 
that comes along. And that's a long ways off. <laughs> Unfortunately. I think, let's see, this is episode 39, right? That yep. will be episode 49, I think. So, yeah, it got a while, but, yeah, oh, I, oh, oh, I can't oh, wait. Well. I, I almost want to throw it in right now, you know? <laughs> but no time, no time. Nope, nope, nope. Um, I think my only gripe with this this opening uh, two-parter is really just Wayne letting Terry get the shit kicked out of him because he could have let a guy die. Mm-hmm. And I do have to take issue with that. I, sure, he he reactivated the suit, but if it weren't for that guard holding that gun on Terry for like t- twenty solid seconds, <laughs> I'm gonna shoot you now. I'm really gonna do it. I'm doing it now. I'm about to pull the trigger. One, two, and two and a half, three quarters, five eighths. I'm gonna go back down to a quarter. <laughs> okay. I'll yeah. You know. Yep. Pretty much. (laughs) But, yeah, that really is my only gripe, uh, besides Terry's incredibly annoying brother. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, um, other than that, yeah, uh, I love – there were a lot of little references to the past series, too, Hamilton Hill High School. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why anybody would name a high school after that guy, though. He was the worst mayors in all of cartoondom, you know? (laughs) Not just the DCAU. Every cartoon ever made – Worst mayor ever, I gotta say. Oh, uh, uh, no, Powerpuff Girls mayor. <laughs> it, no, no, you don't speak bad about the mayor. You do not speak bad about him. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> don't need to come through my microphone, sir. We'll have fisticuffs. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, I love the Powerpuff Girls, sorry. I do, too. It's a great show, but, you know, the mayor is a horrible mayor. I can't, I mean... <laughs> That's a poll we have to start after this episode is posted. Who was a worse mayor, Hamilton Hill or the mayor? <laughs> okay, it will be done. You remember, because I'll forget. <laughs> I will be done. Um, yeah, how about Amanda Waller opening up the episode one? The voice of Amanda Waller, I should say. Yeah, what was she the voice of? I don't remember. Was she... She was the, like, the, was the news report, yeah, wasn't it? That's right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, is that Amanda Waller? <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's awesome. This is our first exposure to um, uh, CCH Pounder. Yeah. So that, that, she's the voiceover. That's great. <laughs> um, and I think it's kind of cool because she ends up being uh, in Epilogue, uh, the final episode of the DCAU, and as uh, Amanda Waller. So she's in the first episode of Batman Beyond and the last episode of of, the, of Justice League Unlimited. So that's really cool. Well, no, that's not the last episode of Justice League. Oh, I mean, I mean of the DCAU, I meant to say. So, yeah, I, I like that. I always love, because I'm big on the voice acting, you realize. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, when we go to the uh, the ransom scene, we have that same Hispanic-looking dude that had, that was in several Gotham Knights episodes. That guy has to be like 65 years <laughs> yeah. old, but he looks the same. He yeah. has like, he has my metabolism, I think. <laughs> you know, that was another thing that, that I wanted to bring up about that opening scene. Not, not, excuse me, not about that fellow, but okay, no matter how far into the future that opening scene is, you know, it doesn't matter if it takes place a couple of years after Justice League ended or 20 years. Okay, it doesn't matter. Mm. But if some time has passed, why? is the GCPD still using the BTAS police cars. <laughs> they still got those old-school cop cars. Like, what is going on with that? Like, 
they're a major metropolis. They might not have uh, the best funding in the world, but I know they can afford a new squad car. <laughs> <laughs> Anachronisms ahoy. Yeah. Uh. It would have been funny if they were driving the squad cars from Superman, the animated series. So this yeah. way, they've got new cars, but they're still 20 years behind, you know? <laughs> Yeah, they're getting the uh, castaways from 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 Metropolis. Yeah. Someone still could have had the Metropolis uh, name along the side, just scribbled out with Gotham written over it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, um, let me ask you something: Is it ever said when or how Barbara became the commissioner? I don't know. It may. It may. I'm pretty sure it it comes up sometime, but. Like I said, I've only seen maybe 25% of the, B- the Batman Beyond episodes, so can't tell you. That threw me for a loop. I mean, again, I- I've seen this before. I, I knew she was going to be the commissioner, but I'm talking about the first time I saw this. I'm like, she's the commish? Really? Like, when did she have time to go back to the academy, rise up through the ranks, and then get her daddy's job? Like, did did working with Batman somehow accelerate that process? I, I really hope there's some episode exploring that, even if it's just a couple of lines of dialogue. I don't care. Yeah. I know in Return of the Joker, uh, back, uh, Barbara, when talking to Terry and relating the whole story about how Tim was just, his mind was destroyed, he or she mentions that Commissioner Gordon was the only person that knew what happened that night besides Tim, uh, Barbara, and uh, Batman. Yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, and um, uh, Leslie Tompkins, too. But Leslie? Oh, that's right, because she had to help. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. But she mentions that uh, that Jim knew what happened that night, so apparently he fig- you know, he finds out who the... He, it, it could be assumed that he finds out who Bruce, uh, who Batman, Batgirl, and Robin were. Yeah. Well, he already knew that Barbara. Barbara. And, and through that, he could... Ha- he has to know that Tim is Robin. Right, yeah. So... You know, and put two and two together. He, he, he. It can be assumed that he knows now that that Bruce is Batman at that yeah, point. That wasn't something I so, thought of, but that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So that may have led up to Barbara becoming commissioner and maybe quitting the the whole superhero gig. Yeah, that's true. But we'll talk about that when we get to reach right. the Joker. Um, I actually came up with another gripe that I have with this episode, and that is that Terry learns how to control this suit way too quickly. Yeah. He is a bright kid, as you said. He understands technology. You know, he understood at least that, that what he was looking at was a really nasty virus, and he knew that he had to take this to Bruce Wayne. But still, that's a, as he said, even in that day and age, the current time, it's still cutting edge. So there's no way he knows how to control that suit. But he's flying. He knows that by touching glass, he can hear through it and spy on the conversation between Powers and the Kaznian delegate. I mean, I, I I really... Sure, when we first see him in the suit, he's having a little trouble flying with it, but then after that, it's just like, hey, everything's kosher, yay! No, I, I would have liked a bit more of a learning curve. Yeah. Um, but here's something I love about Terry, and he fights dirty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is something mm-hmm. we never, ever see from Batman or Robin. <laughs> yeah. Terry fights dirty. He kicks people in the balls. Uh, and they barely cut away. I, I swear they show him hitting Mr. Fix right in the deck. I mean, I don't... I, did they cut away or did they show it? Because to me it looked like they showed it. They didn't show the actual strike, but it was so quick 
I mean, you know where he got hit. Yeah. He, they show him holding his groin. Yeah. So, so <laughs> it was pretty damn quick. Yeah. Now, speaking of Mr. Fix, earlier you said he drowns. Is that is that does that stick or does he? I ha- I don't know. They of course you know since they don't actually show him dying. Yeah. You never know. Maybe he does come back, okay. but I have to assume that. I have to assume he drowns. He goes right to the bottom of the sea. Because here's my thought on this. I like the idea of Powers having his own mercy in the form of Mr. Fix, you know, because mm-hmm. um, it's got to be admitted, you know, Powers is pretty much just Lex Luthor of Gotham City. Yep. Um, but at the same time, he doesn't need a Mr. Fix if he's got his own powers. So I wouldn't be surprised if Fix doesn't come back because mm-hmm. he's not. What, what's, what does he call himself? Meltdown? We don't get it in this episode, but he comes back later as what, Meltdown? I believe so. Okay, I, I might be wrong yeah. on that, but whatever it is, you know he doesn't need help anymore. And uh, George Takei, is that his? Takie? Well, George Takei? Takei? Was Takei. that him? Yeah, that was him. Okay, because... He, vo- he voiced Mr. Fix. <laughs> okay. so I, doubt they, I doubt they were able to get him back several times, yeah. but you never know. It was one of those things where I was watching the episode, and I'm like, is that Sulu? That sounds like Sulu. <laughs> It and was. then I never checked the credits, and I, I just thought it was someone doing Sulu. Then I'm like, mm, I don't know. And like I said, I just, I just never bothered to check. So thank you. Thank you for doing that research there. Because <laughs> I knew what I was hearing. I knew it. I am the voice acting guru, I guess. <laughs> Come in, Bruce. What a pleasant surprise. How have you been holding up? With a cane. <laughs> Very clever. I must say, it's so nice to see you taking an interest after all these years. We're lucky to have you as a resource. Mm-hmm. You should come by more often. I'll set you up with the finest office in the building. Just not this one. Uh, I'd prefer you not touch that. In case you're worried, I didn't come here to set up shop again. Why, Bruce, you've misread me. I don't worry. I just came to say this. Keep your hands off, Fox Tekka. Pardon me? I may not have the leverage on paper anymore, but I still have friends. The Foxes were a valued part of this company for years. I'd hate to find out Wayne Powers was involved in these attacks. Bruce, let me put your concerns to rest. I'd never do such a thing. Why, Lucius Jr. was still vice president when I took over. I know. You fired him. Yes, well, had to make room for the new guard, didn't we? Next up is the episode called Blackout. In this one, we learn that uh, Lucius Fox has split off from uh, Wayne Powers, and he has uh, merged, uh, or not maybe not merged, but he's formed his own company called Fox Tekka. That's what it is, right, Fox Tekka? Yes. And uh, Fox Tekka is being sabotaged. All of their warehouses, all of their laboratories, everything um, are just getting exploded. And we find out during the episode that this is happening uh, because Wayne Powers and Fox Tekka are both up for the same government contract that involved, uh, was it a flight to Mars or Venus? or It was a, it was a space like flight, that. something like that. And, of course, if Fox Tekka... Um, can't produce whatever they're supposed to produce to get this contract, well, then it's obviously going to go to Wayne Powers by default. So uh, Bruce, of course, being friends with the Fox family, um, approaches uh, Derek Powers and says, you know, if I find out that you had anything 
at all to do with these explosions, there's going to be hell to pay. And uh, Power's like, oh, Brucey, 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 don't worry about it. And, of course, he shoes Bruce off, and Bruce knows that he's being lied to. And uh, while Bruce is in Power's office, he takes an interest in one particular statue. And, uh, of course, this statue is the saboteur. It's a shapeshifter by the name of Ink. Um, she's very much this show's version of Clayface, just much more adept at her uh, shape-shifting. Mm-hmm. And uh, what she does is she runs around and she can uh, get into, like, the little cracks in the wall and just make it burst open. And, of course, if that's a supporting wall, the whole ceiling's coming down. She can uh, get under pillars and use her strength to just push them over and, you know, knock them onto other things. She can get into computer systems to fry them. Um, she can even, as she does to Terry, ugh, oh, oh my yes, God. get into your digestive tract and try to explode you from the inside using her body. Ah, that's so creepy. Um, so what was it? What was I saying about this show being more mature than anything yes, we've seen before? Exactly. Ooh. Oh my God, it was it was almost on the verge of tentacle porn. You know, yeah. that's how bad it was. <laughs> getting. I mean, Terry. Yeah, he. I mean, he really did get molested by Ink. I mean, she was just cramming it down his throat. Oh. Anyways, so <laughs> the bulk of the episode is Terry trying to take down this seemingly un-take-downable uh, foe. He finds out that one of her weaknesses is water. Um, so he tries to use it against her, but it, it's to no avail. She puts him on the run again. So he jumps back into the new Batmobile, which is sort of a cross between the jet and the car. So it's a hover car and it goes back <laughs> to the cave, but she is attached to the car because she wants to take out uh, Batman and um, his accomplice. Cause she's figured out that he has an accomplice because she heard him talking to someone on the comm line. She didn't hear who it was, but she knows there's someone else. So she's able to get back into the cave wrecks the cave. Bruce tries to take her down with the hose because, of course, he too now knows that water is her foe. She's able to get away from the hose and they take her down using Mr. Freeze's freeze gun. Um, and then they deliver Ink's shattered body to Commissioner Barbara Gordon. So we get to see her for the first time. And I would like to note that while Bruce is in the cave and Ink is in there uh, to not have his identity discovered, Oh, yeah. As Bruce says, he gets a case of the shies or shyness or something like that. And he puts on the gray ghost cap and mask. Yes. So the aged Bruce Wayne gets to finally breathe a gray ghost. Yes. That was so cool. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Uh, so what are your thoughts about this one? This is a great episode. Yes, it I, was. I'm sorry. I asked you your thoughts. I'll chime in with my head. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's really, it's a, mostly an action episode, but wow, what a great action episode it is. Um, it was really kind of kooky seeing, uh, powers perfectly okay, uh, with no real explanation at the beginning as to how he was back in his, human. I guess, yeah, I guess you could just say human form, um, and not that, smoldering radioactive skeleton that we saw him as as the previous episode ended um yeah and they of course they do show how he's able to continually look like a human later but at at that point you're like whoa wait a minute what if you saw the pre if you saw the debut 
you're hooked on this episode immediately just by that. Um, and I think at this point, Mike, we're going to have to have a mutagen alert for Batman Beyond. Are like we? we had a robot alert <laughs> because this was another one. They explained Ink's powers were by a, a, a mutagen also. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to have mutagen alert for Batman Beyond. I'm <laughs> declaring that right now. <laughs> but, yeah, I overall, God, I love this episode. Yeah, so, this yeah. is one of those action episodes that goes by extremely quick. It almost feels like a blink-and-you-miss-it type episode, yet it's still very fulfilling. You know, a lot of times there's those episodes that go by quick, and you're like, okay, it was decent. But this one, it's like, wow, I could watch that again. Because, you know, you feel maybe you missed something because the action was just so frenetic. Um, they really did an awesome job of continuing to build this new Gotham City, this new future that we've never seen before, while introducing a new villain, continuing to build on what's going on with Powers, and uh, now they're showing us Wayne getting involved with Powers, getting in his face, showing that he still does have some say in the company, though he might not use it all that often. We get to see Bruce the detective again, too. As I said, when he's up there, he realizes something up is something's up with that statue. And, of course, it's mm-hmm. ink, you know? And, you know, Powers is like, oh, I'd appreciate it if you didn't touch the artwork. And none of us see it, but Bruce apparently does, because... When he turns around, he's dabbing his forehead with a handkerchief. But later on, we see that he actually got a piece of the statue of ink and wrapped it up in the handkerchief and was pretending that he was patting down his forehead or wiping his nose or whatever he was doing. So Bruce has still got it, you know, even though he hasn't done this stuff for 20 years since he said enough's enough or never again or whatever he said when he shut down the Batcave after he had to use the gun or at least hold the gun uh, to, to get a criminal to run away, he hasn't lost his sly Bruceness, you know. Um, yeah. Oh. oh Amen. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I get, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I get the feeling that I'm going to be saying this a lot, but wow, that was some awesome animation, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, especially on Powers when he and Ink are in the limo and his skin yeah. starts peeling away. Yeah. Woo. Ooh, Metallo, take lessons from this guy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah. And the line that follows in the scene is great because Powers is like, Ink just looks at him like, what the, what's going on? And, uh, he, and, and, uh, Powers is like, you might want to leave. It's not healthy to be around me when I'm shedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of the great animation, besides the first time we saw Clayface, I don't know if any sort of uh, morphogenetic, is that the right word, character has looked this good. You know, that that first time we see Clayface, he's awesome. And a lot of his other appearances, he looks really good. But Ink, as she's just, even when she's just standing there and her inkiness is just shimmering and just moving around and she's constantly just flowing everywhere, it's, it's, it's never been... It's it, 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 oh, I'm at a loss for words. It's just awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Clayface yes. episode. This episode. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. And speaking of uh, Ink and her animation and everything, and I when they were fighting in the Batcave, and her arm morphs into that kind of whip mm-hmm. dagger thing. It was I was like, 
did she take lessons from Ivy Valentine from Soul Calibur? Because that's exactly what her arm looked like, was that weapon that she uses. Uh-huh. I was wondering if maybe they got the inspiration for it from there. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. If the... Who got their inspiration from what? If, I mean, if the, uh... Uh, does Soul show... Calibur predate the show, or does the show predate Soul Calibur? Well, this was what nineteen ninety nine. The Ooh, first would it have been that see. late, really ninety nine? Yep. Uh, Soul Edge was the first game in the series, uh, and I think that came out before ninety nine, but I can't remember. Mm. But it, regardless, I'm just saying that's what it reminded me of. Wait a minute, no, I thought the Soul Edge Soul Calibur series debuted with the Dreamcast, or did it debut in the arcade? Uh, I want to say the arcade. But okay, because I the... honestly cannot remember. Because the Dreamcast was premiered in September of 99, correct? Right. Okay, so it might have been right around the same time then. They might not have found... It might have been just a happy coincidence, you know? Yeah. But I absolutely see what you're saying. I absolutely do. Because even though I didn't see it when I was watching it, now that you mention it, yep, yep, that's Ivy. (laughs) (laughs) And as she was going through the Batcave, I felt so bad. I'm like, no, she just ripped up Harley's costume. Oh, no, there goes the ventriloquist. No, there goes the penguin's tux. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, while we're talking about that, I really would have liked it if, and maybe it does happen later on, but I doubt it does, is if Bruce's cane was like the Penguin's umbrellas. That just, (laughs) one day he just points the cane at someone and he gasses someone with it. And it's like, ah, we get what you're doing there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And another thing that happens in the, in the cave, and again, is a great line, is, uh, Terry, I think he looks at the gray ghost costume. I think this is long before ink gets in there. Um, he's, he's looking at it kind of curious and Bruce just says long before your time or way yep. before your time. Mm-hmm. It's like, nice, nice. They actually acknowledged it because they had to acknowledge it because it was going to come back later in the episode. Yep. And while I'm talking about lines I liked, when Bruce goes to see, uh, Powers, uh, Powers is like, welcome back, Bruce. How have you been holding up? With a cane. <laughs> yeah, it's golden. Yeah. Oh God, it's so great. <laughs> yeah, I just what I'm digging about old man Bruce is that he doesn't have to be pretend. Excuse me, he doesn't have to pretend to be the bumbling Bruce anymore. He's essentially Batman at this point. Yeah. The, the 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 grumpy Batman that we saw in BTAS and Gotham Knights and Justice League is just old man Bruce without the cape and cowl. You know. Yeah. It's just turned up a notch because he's now a crotchety old man. Yeah. yeah. So now I, I do have to ask a question of you, though. If mm-hmm. Terry's suit can fly, why does he have a Batmobile? I mean, I know the Batmobile is used in this episode to shoot the missile that uh, I think it destroys that uh, uh, the floating forklift. And I know it's used sort of as a plot device to get ink back to the Batcave. But... Besides that, does he really need a Batmobile if he can fly around the city? Uh, good question. I don't know. Um, it really I, did come off as a plot device to me. Yeah, it it, it was. Um, but, I mean, I guess it's Batman. you got to have the Batmobile in some capacity. That's I don't true. know. It probably it will probably come into, into more, in a more important situation later on in the series, though. And, I mean, I liked the way it looked, too. Don't get me wrong. I like the fact that the cockpit was all red, just like the futuristic tank Batmobile from the uh, the Dark Knight Returns segment of uh, that Gotham Knights episode. Mm-hmm. That was cool that they did that. But again, it was just sort of like, why is it here? It's just being used to get ink back to the cave. That's it. But really, that's pretty much my only gripe with this episode. Because I, I hate plot devices, especially when they're so apparent. Yeah. But... 
whatever, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll get over it. Um, but I take that back. I do have another gripe with this episode. I said that might have been my only one, but I am wrong. Uh, Terry's legs broken beyond repair. Yes. Yes. No? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Without question. I, yeah, I don't care how much that suit enhances his strength or gives him any sort of protection from punches and getting thrown around. No, when a giant flipping penny falls on your legs, or maybe it was just one leg, uh, they're dust? Yes, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) God, you sounded like Eddie Izzard there. That was awesome. (laughs) Sorry. That's that's a compliment. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, What else do you want to say about this one? Sorry, I've been yammering on. No, not a lot, because I think you've pretty much covered everything um, that I could think of. Uh, just a, it's a great action episode. Yeah. Wow! And if you if you have anything else to say, by all means. Yeah, I, I think the last thing I want to add, and this goes back to Ink's uh, molestation of Terry, <laughs> is I like the fact that they actually showed Terry vomiting her up too. So it's yeah. not just like when Bruce blasted her with the hose, she kind of dissolved and pulled out of Terry's mouth. No, he had to force himself to regurgitate another human being out of his body. Okay, whether she's a human or not is questionable, but at some point she was a human, so it's a living creature that was in his body, and he has to... Ugh, it, ugh. So what are you going to do to the guy who did that? No wonder they walk all over you. I told you, Willie, someone pushes, you push back. Yeah, like that'll work. Ah! You listen to me, I'm not raising no wuss. Will you keep it straight? I want you to take care of this, Willie. You hear? How am I supposed to do that? Hit him where it hurts. You figure it out. Next up today is the episode Gollum. In this episode, we have this scrawny little nerdy guy named uh, Willie Watt being harassed by... Uh, this guy by Nelson Nash, uh, several times. And, uh, the first time he's, he's at, he wants to ask this really hot girl out. Uh, I forget her name. What was her name again? Oh, uh, uh, it was a weird uh, name, wasn't it? And Blade? Not, Blade, that's it. Yeah. Blade, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, she's really hot girl, Blade. And he wants to ask her out, but, uh, you know, of course she's just kind of blowing him off. Like, ugh. but then he says, well, how about I uh, tutor you in uh, biology because uh, you're not doing all that well there. <laughs> um, but this is where Nelson comes in and he just shoves him away and he sho- I think he shoves him into Nel- into his own car and then he gets angry that he sho- that he might have scratched his precious car. <laughs> this is this guy Nelson is a complete douchebag. Yes, he is. Um, so. Yeah, Nelson and Blade kind of, sort of agree to maybe uh, meet up sometime, and uh, Terry Terry intervenes to keep uh, Willie from getting beaten up by Nelson, and Nelson leaves, like, blowing exhaust in his face from his car, and uh, later he goes, Willie goes back to his father, who's a foreman at a construction site, um, and while... While this is going on, we see this gigantic robot in the background uh, doing mo- all the heavy lifting type stuff that to construct whatever they're they're building there. And his father gets really pissed off at him because uh, he didn't fight back. Because this guy is big macho man guy, you know, no just brawn over brains 100% of the time, really. Uh, 
And so that night, Batman is out testing the new uh, stealth mode on his suit. This is, we're, we're further developing the new bat suit. They're showing the uh, the new stealth capabilities here, and we find out that the the unit, the giant robot, which is codenamed Gollum, it's some weird acronym I can't remember. Um, it it arrives in the middle of a mall and starts just tearing shit up, uh, and. We we see that Blade and Nelson are there, and the robot is walking towards the two, and Nelson just kind of shoves her away and runs away <laughs> while, while she's trying to keep up with him. And the robot walks by uh, Blade after she trips and falls, because, of course, you know, whenever the girl's running, she has to trip. I mean, it just, it just has to happen. Um, it, but the robot just casually walks by uh, Blade and keeps going after Nelson. And the robot picks up Nelson's car and just crumples it into just this mangled, just cinnamon twist, basically. <laughs> it, it, it looks like utter hell after it's done with it. Um, so Batman arrives and starts duking it out with the robot. And uh, eventually, the, I believe the robot gets knocked into some power cables yeah. and it causes the circuitry to overload and... This causes some electrical feedback in the headset because we find out that Willie is controlling the robot through uh, the headset that uh, I believe his father was using it, right? No, uh, just some guy on the site was using it. Okay, but regardless, uh, Willie has stolen the control unit and the, f- the electrical feedback goes into the headset and it fries it fries the headset, but now Willie has these kind of electrical... Uh, current powers. He can control the uh, the golem by himself. He doesn't need the headset anymore. Um, so Willie manages to escape, even though he's kind of dazed, obviously. Um, but he's he sees that this ener- the energy is still flowing through his body, and um, this is where Blade dumps Nelson, and it's pretty funny actually. Um, after this, Willie goes to school the next day, and Willie ends up being asked to the dance by Blade just because she's just trying to spite Nelson, not because she actually has any kind of feelings for Willie. Nelson then starts to bully the poor kid again. But um, at this point, Willie senses that he still has a connection with the the Golem robot. Um, And I can't remember uh, really what happens after this. Uh, I think Willie goes into – this is where he confronts – or the Jokers confront him, right? Yeah, he is hanging out in the sewers because he's trying to find the golem. He's trying to track him, and he senses that he's somewhere in that area, and that's some of the Joker's territory. So right. they start picking on him, and uh, they want his money or whatever, and he says, well, actually, how about I tell you a joke? Oh, yeah, and that's the, right. And the lead Joker of this gang is like, okay, make me laugh, Lieb. And he says something like, what's two stories tall, 13 tons? And blah 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 blah, and the Joker's like, "That's not even funny." And he's like, or, and he's like, "Well, it's it's right behind you." And then that's when the Gollum shows up and chases them away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is where Willie fully takes control of the Gollum unit with yeah. his mind. And I believe after this, this uh, is the dance scene. Mm-hmm. Um, Willie goes with Blade, but Blade is just like. <sighs> 
she she really is disgusted at what she's gotten herself into here yeah. by being with this 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 schlub and uh she just kind of manages to get away from him because she's like do you want some punch and he goes off to get the punch and um nelson comes up and just like bullshits bullshits her and just they end up uh I believe they start dancing, but before that, before that happens, Nelson and Nelson takes Willie off to the dock and knocks him off of the dock into the ocean. Mm-hmm. And when he comes back, of course, he's soaking wet, and everybody's laughing at him. And I believe next is when the Gollum starts coming in. Nelson and Blade start dancing. Uh, Dana goes up to Willie and uh, tries to, you know, just offers to take him home and. Willie refuses, saying that he doesn't need anybody's help, and that's when he summons the Gollum. And the Gollum just start attacks, starts forcing everybody to jump into the water, and Nelson is nearly killed, uh, but Batman arrives and saves him, un- unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he even makes um, a comment like that. I, th- I think Nelson's yeah. like, oh, thanks for saving me, and he's like, yeah, don't mention don't it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally, don't mention yeah. it. <laughs> um, so... At this point, before the Gollum can kill Batman, who, uh, Willie's father arrives and he just, he tries to get Willie to stop, but Willie hates his father just about as much as he hates Nelson at this yeah. point because his whole life, he's just been bu- really bullied by his father. Yeah. And again, Batman intervenes and he, he blinds the Gollum with, uh, some acid or something. I don't I remember what he does. Since Willie's father can't swim, he's been, he's like, He's been th- uh, dangling over the ocean. Uh, they're up. At, oh, that's right. They go up into the construction site. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. And uh, and Batman is trying to avoid the robot who's attacking the the beams. And uh, Willie's father ends up hanging by uh, one of the beams over the ocean, and he can't swim. So Batman sa- saves his father, and then uh, goes to the rocket ride at the carnival. I believe that the carnival is taking place next to the dance, and uh, he manages to reel the golem into the ride, and it uh, it destroys the golem and and everything else around it. And um, as it as the the robot starts falling apart, Willie just is he breaks into tears. He because it's, this was his only quote unquote friend, and for some reason he's only sentenced to three years in juvie. Uh, where he, but he's still getting bullied here. Yeah. But when these three punks in the prison tell him to change the channel and threaten to beat him up, he he like sends out an electrical charge and blows the television up without even touching it. So he starts walking towards him and they just like kind of scatter and he smiles and that's where it ends. Yeah. Oh boy. Um tell me <laughs> that we never see this character again. God I hope not. This I mean, they were on such a roll. Okay, I don't know if two episodes can be counted as a roll, but if it can, they were on a roll, damn it. <laughs> and then they introduced this thing, and I'm like, okay, first off, the golem looks like the rock monster from the original Mega Man. <laughs> you remember that thing? It was like one of the end bosses, and it was that monster you could cheat, where if you shot the electrical beam at, at it, and you kept hitting the select button or whatever the pause button was... And you kept cycling through the menu, and you kept, you know, it would it would keep taking power off that monster. It's that creature. That's what the <laughs> golem is. Um, Willie, he's supposed to be a sympathetic character, but he's not. He's just your stock standard dweeb. Um, 
I mean, you, maybe you feel a little sympathy for him, but really not all that much because he is just a cliche. The bullies that are picking on him are just a cliche. The 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 bitchy girl is just your cliched bitchy girl. Yeah, it's just like you know we've seen them do well defined characters in the preceding two episodes. Why couldn't we have got them? Here and I gotta tell you, my absolute biggest gripe with this entire episode is the piss poor detective work. Let me lay it out for you, okay? Terry sees Willie get picked on by Nelson. Then he sees the um, Gullum trash Nelson's car at the mall. They know that the Gullum is owned by Willie's dad. But they can't put two and two together and go, okay, Willie, who doesn't like Nelson because Nelson picks on him, used his dad's GLM unit to attack Nelson at the mall and destroy his car. Like, like who wouldn't figure that out? I mean, Bruce is even sitting there. And, you know, he asks Terry, he's like, is there anybody that has it out for this Nelson kid? And Terry's like, the line starts with me and goes around the block. No, it starts with Willie, who owns the fucking robot. Yeah. Oh, terrible detective work. Oh. Okay, maybe you could chalk it up to Bruce's senility, but Terry should have been able to put it together. It's, yeah. it's not like a Sherlock Holmes mystery where you have to be able to tell that the mud on the shoe was from some particular bog, you know, that no one else knows about, and that means that the killer is Mr., you know, Mustard or whatever. No, you don't, you don't <laughs> need that kind of detective work. You just need a brain, and you have to be able to go, one plus one equals two. Ooh. I'm sorry. Um, I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> no, that's okay because I, I got to tell you, this character is in one person. He is Dr. Milo, Sergeant Mills, and Livewire. <laughs> my God in heaven, the horror of it all. How? Because awesome. <laughs> he looks like Dr. the illegitimate child of Dr. Milo. Mm-hmm. He he has like. He says, leave us alone. So he's Sergeant Mills now from mm-hmm. Prototype. And he has the electrical uh, current powers. So he's Livewire. I want to shoot this episode. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Good call, sir. Jesus well, Christ. Mm-hmm. How could you combine those three characters into one? It is it is it is a trifecta of utter shit. Thank you for pointing out that he looked like Milo. Because <laughs> I'm watching this episode, and the whole time I'm thinking, who does he remind me of? I've seen this model before, but a little different. <laughs> and you, you noticed it. <laughs> that is great. <coughs> oh, excuse me. I'm coughing up a lung here. Um, okay. Uh, again, earlier I asked, if Terry can fly, why does he have a Batmobile? If Terry can fly, why does he use grappling hooks? In case the wings get severed, I guess, like in, a, in one of our n- next couple episodes. Okay, I, I could maybe buy that. But here, he's using the grappling hook to get Nelson out of the way. I think he, he grapples into the frame and swings him and, him and Nelson up into the sky. And that's when they have the dialogue, oh, yeah, don't mention it, you know, about I shouldn't yeah. have saved you. Why didn't he use his boots? That would have been quicker than swinging. Yeah. I. I mean, were they trying to tone down the, the rockets? I don't know. I, I don't know what they were doing there, but in, yeah. I can see it later. I just don't get it here. Yeah. Well, here's a couple. I have a couple more questions. Okay. When 
after after Nilsson's car gets trashed in the next scene where Willie and Blade are kind of sort of talking to each other, Blade, as she's walking away to really just rub it in Nelson's face, says the following: "Call me." She doesn't give her uh, give Willie her number. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we she just says call her like this schlub would have her number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, I hate when they do that in any form of media. You see it all the time where you know a couple is making a first date and the girl's like, "Give me a call," and she never writes her number down. It's never said that he already has it, you know. And next thing you know, they're on their date, and it's like, "Wait, what? Huh? How, how did that happen?" <laughs> <laughs> um, my second question is, why are there several people at this dance dressed up in tuxedos and evening gowns, and then you have this jackass Jocko Nelson here in his uh, Letterman's jacket and jeans, and several other people are dressed in their jeans and street clothes too. Yeah. What the fuck? What the fuck was this dance? Yeah, they're so cool. They they shun the tuxedo. <laughs> or on the other hand, the others are so swank they have to dress up in tuxedos for yeah. a, a common dance. Yeah, I don't know. God, this episode is just ugh. yeah. Um, it did because I want to. I want to like this poor kid because yeah. honestly. I was this kid at one point. <laughs> in middle school, I was that kid. I was picked on every goddamn day. And I want, so I, 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 I'm sympathetic towards characters like this, but this kid, this guy is just not likable. Well, it goes back to what I said earlier. He is yeah. just the cliche. They didn't add anything to the geek, the nerd, the dweeb, the dork, whatever, whatever name you want to give him. There was nothing new here. Okay. Outside of the fact that he could mentally control a robot. Character wise, <laughs> we've seen this a thousand times and we've seen it done this poorly before and we know that these guys are great at developing new characters even if it's characters we are never going to see again as it hopefully is the case here you know we know they can do better and they failed hard with this guy um i like the idea of a kid that's mentally attached to a robot don't get me wrong. I just want a kid I care about that's mentally attached to a robot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ugh. But speaking of the robot, at one point, I think it's the dad that mentions that the robot weighs something like 13 tons. So are you telling me that that carousel that it gets attached to has enough torque to pull a 13-ton, two-story tall robot into it? And destroy it. And destroy it. This robot that has crashed through everything else, girders, uh, sub or not subway, but uh, elevated tracks, you know, buildings, all this shit. But it, it comes into contact with a carousel, and suddenly it's made out of tinfoil. <laughs> Apparently so, Mike. Apparently so. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say a few minutes ago is there are some minor things I like about this episode. Again, the the general principle. You know, the kid attached to the robot. Mm -hmm. Um, But continuing the trend, there's some dialogue in here. Ooh, especially between uh, Nash and Blade, where he's like, uh, I'm sick of the mall. How about a ride? And she she says, like, more than me. And he's like, who's talking about cars? I was like, whoa, (laughs) nice. (laughs) I wish I could have pulled that line off in high school. 
I wish I could pull that line off now. <laughs> I've been with someone for 12 years, and I think she'd still smack me if I delivered that line. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, this, this episode, like I said, it wasn't total ass. Um, I like seeing... Uh, we don't get a lot of it, but we do get a little more of Dana's character. Um, she's really... She, we saw her in the first episode. I don't think she was in the second episode at all, was she? No, she wasn't in so. Blackout. But we get her here again, and we see that she really is a nice girl. You know, she wants to help Willie. She says, you know, we, Terry and I will take you home. We'll take care of you. And then, of course, Willie freaks out on her, of course. So we know, you know, there's more to her than just being Terry's girlfriend, just being the eye candy. And in later episodes, we'll get more of her characterization too, because she's getting frustrated with getting blown off. Yep. You know, and I, I like that, that, you know, she, she's not a major character, but they take enough time to actually do something with her. And again, that's why I'm not liking what they're doing with Willie here. He gets more screen time than Dana does, but Dana gets more characterization in this episode than Willie could ever dream of. How'd you con the formula out of Bane? In the end, he needed Venom just to keep going. It got so bad he couldn't even make it himself. He had to trust someone. And now you're cashing in by selling poison to kids? That's right. Next up is the winning edge. Now, I want to address something here, okay? If you actually look at the DVD set, the next episode would be Meltdown, and then after that, Heroes. The reason we are going to be doing The Winning Edge and Dead Man's Hand is because this is the production order. Remember, that's how, generally speaking, we do things on World's Finest Podcasts. The way they're listed, and I'm I'm holding the DVD case towards my computer as if I actually have a webcam going. (laughs) This is actually a... uh, a uh, 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 video podcast, uh, but they're they're listed on the DVD in uh, their original air date order. Um, but again, we do it in terms of production order, so some things are going to be uh, out of order uh, in the way we cover them compared to the DVDs. But anyways, like I said, next up is the Winning Edge, and in this one, um, Terry's school's lacrosse team is that what they're playing? Like I think that's I think that's lacrosse. I think it's high ally. Okay, well, whatever the hell they're playing, um, they are having trouble. They're not doing so good, and the coach is like, you all suck, get better, or I'm going to eat your balls. So <laughs> they decide to start taking steroids. Well, of course, I don't need to say much more, because in the Batman universe, if someone's taking steroids, who is involved? Bane. Dun-dun-dun. Um, exactly. So... Terry goes to uh, where uh, the Bane Sanctuary, basically. He's been out of jail for years, Bruce says. Uh, Bruce says, you know, Bane hasn't caused any trouble these last 20 or 30 years or whatever. Uh, but still, go check on him to make sure that he's not selling this drug. When Terry gets there, um, he he talks to Bane's uh, doctor, nurse, handler, caretaker. Guy, caretaker, yeah. And... Uh, the guy's like, well, you can go check on Bane. He's over there. And Terry opens the door, and Bane is just completely incapacitated. He's he's in this chair hooked up to all these machines. You know there's no way in hell Bane is selling Venom on the black market to high schoolers to make a few bucks. It turns out, of course, that the caretaker nurse doctor guy is the one that is manufacturing and selling the Bane. Or it's not the, the Bane, Venom. Because um, what we find out, 
is that um, Bane was the only person who ever knew the formula to Venom. But it got to the point where he needed Venom just to keep himself alive, and he could no longer make it himself. He was becoming so fragile. So he had to trust someone else with the formula, and that someone else was this nurse, doctor, caretaker guy who is now the one that is selling it on the black market to high school students. So, of course, when Batman shows up to bust up the operation, the guy... uh gets the venom into a system uh, with these patches. Imagine nicotine patches, and they're calling them slappers because you literally have to slap them onto your skin. And he puts these things all over his body, um, and he becomes not quite as big as Bane, but big enough to give Terry and his uh, uh, enhanced through-the-suit strength uh, run for his money. And, of course, Terry takes him down in the opposite way that Batman would always take Bane down. Batman would always uh, cut the line of venom that fed the the drug to Bane. In this instance, Terry knocks the guy into just like uh, the, the the conveyor belt or whatever it was that was spitting out all these so-called slappers, and he overloads his system with venom, just basically causing to go, to go comatose. Um, now that I think about it, didn't Batman do that to Bane once though? Didn't he overload the system? Mm, I want to yeah, say he did it once, and because weren't his eyes bulging out? And yeah, 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 he did. Yeah, I don't know what episode that was, but yeah, okay. But normally he did deprive him of the drug to beat him. Um, but yeah, th- that pretty much synopsizes this episode. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, it should also be noted, though, that uh, during this episode, um, Mary uh, Terry's mother discovers uh, some slappers in Terry's bag. Uh, because as Batman, Terry was snooping around in the locker room and, and got them out of one of the, the jocks, uh, lockers. And he just threw them into his, into his bag, not even really thinking about it. So when, uh, Terry's brother kind of grabs the bag out of his hand, teasing him, they, all his stuff falls out and she sees the slappers, uh, fall out of, out of his bag. And she just, she thinks that because Terry's been sleeping in class and, his grades have been going down. She thinks it's because he's on drugs. Uh, so when the episode ends, Bruce and uh, Bruce and Terry enter their house, and Bruce gives the results of like, a drug test to Mary himself, so so he can just clear Terry's name. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about that. Because um, to be honest with you, most of this episode is completely forgettable. Um, I don't think it's as bad as the previous episode. Um, but yeah, this one just, mm, I mean, it's, it's the drug episode. You know, I was watching this one with Jenny and even she was like, oh my God, it's the after school special episode. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, exactly. Because you've got the, the lead jock in this one, who of course isn't Nash, we should say. Um, Mm -hmm. in fact, he's conspicuously absent. From the team. Previously, we saw him on the team, and now he's not on the team. Um, but yeah, it's, it's some other guy we've never seen before. And, you know, he's got the bags under his eyes. He's jittery. He's fiending for the drug. He's the one making the deal um, with with the, the unseen dealer, at least unseen in the beginning of the episode. Um, it, it does come off as that after-school special kind of episode, especially when you couple it with... Terry's mom finding the drugs in the bag and being like, "Oh no, my son's on drugs. My life is over." <laughs> yeah, it, it it's really like they took a night an early '90s or late '80s uh, anti-drug 
video that was shown to elementary school students and made a Batman Beyond episode into it. Yeah, pretty much so. Um, yeah, what else do you have to say about this? I gotta be honest with you. I have a grand total of like four notes. Hey, that's how many I have. Yeah. And I've pretty much said them all at this point. Yeah. Um, you know what? Let let me add one thing. You know, the one thing I did like about this episode again is the dialogue. And the line here was, uh, Terry was asking Bruce for advice on how to handle his mom in this situation with the slappers. And Bruce says, arch criminals, I know how to handle mothers are a different story. <laughs> like that's a good line, but it's kind of sad too, because you're like, yeah. yeah, Bruce doesn't know how to relate to a mother or a father. I mean, sure he had Alfred, but Alfred, as much as he loved Bruce, still would have kept him at a slight distance during his formative years. Um, and Bruce himself would have kept him, his own self at a distance from Alfred and everybody else. Um, so it's a funny line, but but deeply sad when you actually examine it. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, really, this the only reason I ever remember this episode is because of Bane crippled mm-hmm. in that life support system. It's yeah, it's really freaky. Mm-hmm. I, it really is. I, despite all the cliches in this episode, that really does it really does stick in your mind. Um, and in, in an episode of completely forgettable things, it's at least you have one really memorable one. Yeah. Cause again, it's kind of sad to see Batman's, uh, biggest, uh, strongest foe reduced to that. You know, you don't want to see anybody reduced to that, obviously, but when it was someone who was, you know, hulking before, and, and hyper-intelligent, like, too. Exactly. And now he's literally stuck in that chair. He can't do anything for himself. That, that, that's sad, even for a villain, i got to say. Yeah, because you, if you look closely, he doesn't have any pupils. His oh, eyes are completely know. white. Mm. So he's probably blind. He's on a respirator, you know, a, a life support system. It's just, yikes. Yeah. That was Bane. Think about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, the, I only have a couple other notes. One is, at the very beginning of the episode, Batman throws a batarang and knocks the gun out of the guy's hand, and then he says, drop it, clown. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> I think you got the, the order there wrong, Terry. Yeah. Well, he's new to it. He's still a rookie. <laughs> uh, can't you get your cliched lines <laughs> in proper order? Yeah. Um, and the only other thing I have to say is um, those guys are dead. The ones that got crushed by the the mill or the uh, press things, those roller things. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh. oh. They're dead. You're late, Dana. Again. That's all over now. Thanks to you and this job. Don't dramatize. You two will be back together soon enough. And in the meantime, we've got to figure out how to stop this gang. I gave them a lot more than they expected. They're gone. They'll be back. We've got history, they and I. The Royal Flush Gang's been around a long time. They're a family. They bring in new members, sons, daughters, husbands, wives, as the older ones retire or go to prison. They think they're better than everyone else. The aristocrats of crime. Finally up today is the episode Dead Man's Hand. Uh, This episode starts off on a luxury yacht that kind of goes by a poor guy on a catamaran and knocks him away and they're all making fun of him and so forth but then a 
uh, suddenly this group of people dressed up as playing cards shows up on these like on floating playing cards and they rob all the rich peoples and Batman intervenes and stops them. But the one dressed up as the queen sets off some kind of electrical explosion um, causing a bunch of havoc and Batman has to save them, uh, letting the crooks get away. Uh, later that night, Terry meets Dana at the nightclub and they seem to break up because Dana can't take the constant lateness of Terry anymore since the new job. Uh, well, Terry leaves uh He's pissed off. He leaves, and uh, outside, this very, very attractive blonde woman named Melanie, who is watching the whole thing outside, walks up and starts talking to him. They schmooze for a little bit and about their respective difficulties, and uh, and she reveals that uh, her family has moved around a lot, and she never has a chance to make friends very much. So they agree to meet at really at the same place the next night. And at the Batcave, Bruce reveals to Terry who exactly the gang was that he was fighting, the Royal Flush Gang. Uh, apparently, these people are one giant crime family, and if I were to guess, I'd say Blue Bloods, um, <laughs> who have been around for generations. When Basically, when one member dies or is captured or incapacitated, they just simply recruit another family member to take their place. And as Bruce calls them, the aristocrats of crime. Uh, so the scene shifts to the Royal Flush Gang's mansion, and King is none too happy that Batman is back thwarting their plans again. Uh, Jack cracks wise about how going after Batman won't make them richer, and King backhands him so hard that his lip bleeds. Yeah, that's. let me jump in here. I want to say something that we haven't been bringing up. There's a lot of blood so far, a lot of bleeding lips. Yep. Uh, Bruce is bleeding at the beginning of the first episode. Terry bleeds in the first. I want to say the second or the third, too. And as you said here, uh, Jack starts bleeding, too. So I'm sorry I interrupted, but we should have been pointing that out. Yeah. I, I can't believe I forgot that from our first episode. Then, the shock of the hour, 10 turns out to be <laughs> Melanie. Uh, so later that night, the Royal Flesh Gang are trying to steal a decorative sword. And Ten doesn't cut the alarm properly, uh, the, the wires properly, which causes them to be intercepted by a bunch of guards. Well, they overcome them, but they still have to deal with Batman. Now, Batman holds his own, uh, but then a guard steps in and tries to apprehend everybody. And Jack captures him and holds him hostage while they fly away. They, uh, King orders Jack to drop the guy out of the air, and Ten... Ten and Jack, even Jack for a second, they're like, what? You're, you're not serious, right? And Ten just confronts King, says, you can't. So King says, uh, whatever he says, he just says, yeah, I can. And they Jack drops him, and Batman saves him barely. They end up crashing through a, a roof of a building. And uh, Ten is reprimanded by King for arguing with him about dropping the guard out of the sky. So later, Terry and Melanie meet up, uh, just really by a miracle, because they both they both end up being there at the exact same time because of what they were doing earlier, <laughs> and they really they walk for and talk all night. They for probably what amounts to about six or seven hours, and Melanie tells Terry that her family is going to be moving again soon, and uh, they agree to meet later again that night since it's sunrise at this point. Uh, Terry returns to the Batcave, and he gets into an, a war of words with Bruce about having a life, and how he he Bruce really just wants everybody to be miserable like him, and so on and so forth. Well, Melanie is preparing to leave uh, her family for Terry, but Queen talks her into staying, and Melanie then calls Terry and tells him that they can never see each other again, 
uh, Terry uses some kind of terminal to trace the call with the with his cell phone. And he goes to the place and he sees a briefcase with an ace of spades inside it. And Terry immediately knows what this means. But before he can really think about it, the card explodes, nearly killing him. Now, the gang enters looking for Batman's corpse, and they find nothing. Uh, and it's at this point that Batman starts systematically subduing each gang member one by one in very cool little moves. He eventually confronts Ten, and he hesitates because at this point he knows that that's Melanie. Uh, but King takes the opportunity to throw a bomb card at Batman. It knocks him out of the building because it, it's such a huge explosion. It literally knocks him, like, close to a football field's distance away. Uh, King ends up slicing Batman's uh, wings off, but he's able to grapple the hover card that King's on, and they crash into a rooftop. Well, Ten flies in on the scene, and she has to decide whether to help Batman or King, and unfortunately, she chooses King. So a policeman shoots her out of the sky, and Batman saves her from plunging to her death, and she laments that, you know... this that was I made my choice and now I have to live with it. Um, so she, along with the rest of the Royal Flush Gang, are apprehended shortly thereafter. Terry uh, walks up on the scene in his street clothes and he's just terribly depressed as Bruce happens upon the scene. Terry then apologizes to Bruce for you know what he said to him earlier. He asks him if this has ever happened to him, and Bruce simply smiles and says, "Let me tell you about a woman named Selena Kyle." And Talia Al Ghul, and the woman from Mask of the Phantasm, and the woman from the Mystery of the Batwoman, and I'm sure I'm missing a dozen more. <laughs> yeah, you know Kathy meant nothing though. She was she was just a fuck toy. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> you know that's what she was. Yeah. Well, maybe an explosion every now and then. <laughs> God. Anyways, about Dead Man's Hand, what are your thoughts here? Um, I actually, I do like this episode. Um, it, really, I think it boils down to because we got our first exposure to the television acting goddess that is Olivia Dabo. Um, does she if, play ten? Yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. Who else yes. will she play in the DCAU? She plays Morgan Le Fay in Justice League, uh-huh. and I want to say she plays somebody else, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But it's the she... only good thing to come out of Wonder Years. <laughs> Hate mail can be sent to you know the email address. Oh uh, yeah, but and she, I know her of course from Law and Order: Criminal Intent as Robert Gorin's arch nemesis. Uh, but yeah, I I love her. She is such a great actress and. Uh, I'm glad that they got her in. I'm, I'm, I'm really. I did not know she was in Batman Beyond at all, so I was really pleasantly surprised to see that because I was listening to Ten talk and I knew, I knew I'd heard that voice somewhere, but it was like every time I've heard Olivia Dabo's voice before, it's with a British accent. So, uh, yeah, I, I was like, I couldn't. If, if it had been a British accent, I would have immediately known right off the bat that that was her, but. Yeah, pleasant surprise. I love that. I didn't know she was English, but I'm looking at her wiki page right now, and sure enough, you're right. Mm-hmm. Huh. Cool. Cool, what, cool. What about you? What, are you, what about uh, this episode? You know, I sort of agree with you. I mean, it's it's not a bad episode. Um, it's certainly better than the last two we had to suffer through. Um, there's uh, much more consideration given to the character of Ten 
than there were than there was um, uh, Willie or whatever the hell his name was. Um, but still, she is just the ah tragic girl kind of character. Um, but ultimately, because you do feel do feel bad for her, that does mean that the writers were doing at least something right. Um, I did like the budding relationship between her and Terry. You know, we've all kind of been there where we fell for someone and we knew the relationship wasn't going to last for whatever reason. You know, someone was going to move. Uh, we were just on holiday, just something, you know, and that's what this episode's about. Maybe that's why it resonates with me, because I've definitely been there where I fell head over heels for someone that I knew come the end of the weekend. I would most likely never see again. Um, not to get into my high school love life, but. There you go. Um, <laughs> Get to know your WFP host. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it's... It, again, the characters really are just sort of stock standard. Again, I mean, you've got King, who's all about just wanting revenge on Batman, yet seemingly not getting that this isn't the same Batman that he wants revenge on. Yeah. Um, and that it's been at least 20 years since he fought that Batman. Um, Queen is just your, you must obey your father, your king kind of mother character. Um, Jack is just the kind of smarmy, you know, young upstart of the family. Like, he's all about the booze and the women and the money. Um, but they, again, they do give him a little characterization when, as you said, he kind of questions killing the guard. Um, so I did appreciate that. Um... And, and again, I've spoken my mind, spoken my mind about 10, you know, who got some characterization, not a whole hell of a lot. Um, but anyway, so while we're speaking about the, the gang, the family, whatever, Ace is a robot, right? Yes. Okay, cause it's never said, but he never took off his costume, so I had to assume as much. Yeah. Um, okay, thank you for clearing that up. Um, and this is, I know the answer is yes. This is the first time we've seen the Royal Flush Gang, right? Yes. Now, besides the episode, um, was it epilogue? Do we ever see the Royal Flush Gang again? Wild Do they cards. pop up in just Wild Cards? What episode was that? Joker is in Las Vegas planting the bombs everywhere. Okay. And uh, that's that, I think, is the first incarnation of the Royal Flush Gang okay. chronologically because Joker gives them their suits and their hover card things. And um, he even says in the episode that, allow me to introduce you to uh, the Royal Flush Gang. So mm-hmm. that chronologically would be their first um, DCAU appearance. Um, and then, of course, in Epilogue, there's a new version. And Amanda Waller even comments on maybe the third or the fourth. Who knows anymore? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now, I have a question, though. Terry obviously figures out that 10 is well, – it was Melanie, right? Right. He figures that out. But are we to assume that she figured out that Batman was Terry? There's no. a couple of times where it looks like she might have figured it out, though. No, Just... because in her she makes at least two more appearances in Batman Beyond, and I oh. don't think she knows that Terry is Batman. Oh, I assume this was a one-off thing. No, she, uh, the Royal Flush Gang comes back at least twice. Or I'd say the Royal Flush Gang comes back once at least, but I know the character of Melanie comes back at least twice. Okay, because this was one of those things where I was watching it, and I was wondering if she figured out. And as I said earlier, Jen was watching these with me, and she even asked. She was like, did, ter- or did 10 figure that out? And I go, I think so. But you're saying she obviously doesn't. So, okay, okay, that clears that up. Um, 
And about this episode, you know, I even though I could kind of relate to the relationship, the kind of whirlwind relationship that she and Terry were having, it did kind of kind of come off a little forced. Um, I would have liked to have seen, I don't know, a little more romance there, not just, oh, we're both lonely in the moment. Let's walk around till sunset. Um, and I also felt that the fight with Bruce was way too forced. Um, it, you feel Terry should have learned his lesson after yelling at his father and then running out on him, you know, and now that he's doing it to his new father figure, you didn't learn your lesson, dude. You know, now what if he came back to the cave and Bruce was slumped over the computer or died of a heart attack, you know, <laughs> like then all of a again, he's like, Oh no, I did it again. Damn it. Oh. <laughs> All right, now I promise I will never do it again. <laughs> and then he does it to Ace three episodes later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, no. But I'm sorry, what, what are your thoughts about this one? What, what else do you have to say? Well, speaking of their little budding relationship there, I'm, I was t- a little annoyed that he kisses uh, Melanie, but he, to date he hasn't kiss Dana on screen. <laughs> so it's like, really? wow. I, I, no, he, he's kissed Dana, hasn't he? Not on screen. Every time they try and kiss it, something interrupts him, and it's normally a phone. Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so it's like, what? <laughs> Poor Dana. I mean, God. No wonder why she left him. <laughs> yeah. Here's a question I have. Right at the beginning of the episode, I wish I could understand why it is when gangs rob people in cartoons... When they show the inside of their duffel bags or burlap sacks or whatever, there's always these huge gemstones with no chains or anything attached to them. <laughs> Who the fuck carries around gigantic precious gemstones that are cut up in per- in their into their sh- the really nice shapes? You know, <laughs> I'm sure there's someone. <laughs> and if they're a listener of World's Finest Podcast, we kindly accept <laughs> donations of any amount. Precious gemstones, yes. <laughs> yes. Any sort of donation you want to give us, gemstones. <laughs> Piles of cash in briefcases. You know, whatever you want to send. Send me an email. Feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Actually, one thing I, I really did like was when uh, Batman finally subdued the ace robot, uh, rocketing him down the laundry chute and then throwing the bomb down after him. It kind of reminded me of Die Hard, where he, where uh, McClane throws the, the computer and the chair and the C4 oh, explosives yeah. down the chute. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that was that, that's immediately what I thought of. So I was like, "Wow, that's cool." And, and it was like Ace Robot got owned. <laughs> um, and uh, how about James Bond playing King? You were picking up Bond overtones, really? No, it was George Lazenby. Was it? Yeah. Well, I didn't realize that. Oh wow, that's 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 a great coincidence because yep. Ian just covered. Um, what was it? Uh, uh, her on. In- on on Her Majesty's Secret Service, yeah. Yeah, in uh, For Your Ears Only, the most yep. recent episode. just went up this past Thursday. That's very cool. I, I had no clue. I, I didn't know who anybody was in this episode. I mean, trust me, if I didn't notice that Olivia Diabo was doing a voice, I wasn't picking up on anybody else. Here's another question I have. When uh, they have that same with the sword, they're trying to steal that decorative sword, and Melanie checks her watch or... Uh, and or Batman checks. I can't remember who it was. Checks their watch, and it says like eleven thirty-two. Yes. The I next remember. time, next time they check, they see a clock. It's like tw- it's twelve thirty-two, and yeah. all the, the most amount of time that could have possibly passed in that was five minutes. Yes. And another question I have is: Did they seriously, seriously, just take a robot to prison? 
Was he shackled? Yes, he was with the, <laughs> with the rest of the gang. I didn't notice that. <laughs> oh, um, wow. You can't destroy the robot, put him in a jail cell. I, I don't know. You know, maybe in the future, robots are considered sentient. I mean, we got Zeta running around in a little while and you can't just blow it up. You got to put it in jail. It's got human rights, too, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> the Constitution is amended. Robots <laughs> now have human rights. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. I want to live in an America where robots have human rights. <laughs> <laughs> what else? What else do you have to say? I really don't have anything else to say about this one, if if, you, if I'm going to be honest here. Um, I repeat something I said before, and that's it's it's not bad. It's definitely watchable, but... You know, I, don't know. I think my yeah, my I just feelings got to <laughs> My feelings just can ba- basically be summed up by saying it just felt rushed. Well, do you want to do our scores then? Yes, let's do that. Okay, so then the two-part rebirth. I feel weird grading the first episode of this, or really any series this way, but I'm giving it a ten. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not giving it a ten because of what you just said. It feels weird to do it right off the bat. Um, but it's not just that. I did have some minor quibbles with this one that I really do think kind of brought it down to a nine. But when we eventually come back to Batman Beyond, I'm 99% sure I'm going to bump this up to a 10. But yeah, for now, it's got to be a nine from me. Um, then next up, Blackout. I'll give that one a nine. I'm going to give that one an eight. Gollum. Uh, you know what? I don't even. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna give this a four. And if I have to come back and regrade it, I will. But I'm just gonna leave it at that. Yeah. Initially, I gave it a five, and I'm like, you know what? No, this is this is definitely four material. Uh, the Winning Edge. Uh, five. Just painfully average. I agree. And Dead Man's Hand. Uh, I'm probably overgrading this. I'm gonna give it a seven. But this is definitely an episode I might have to come back and look at. Um, I give that one a six. Terry, honey? What? Quick, get dressed. We have company. Company? Mr. Bruce Wayne. He's here to see you. I hope you don't mind milk. We're out of cream. I prefer it. Terrence, sorry to get you up so early. It's okay. You never told me you knew Bruce Wayne. Well, actually, uh... Why, I owe this boy my life. He defended me against a bunch of hooligans once. I tried to reward him, but he absolutely refused. Mr. Wayne wants to offer you a job. A job? It's not much, mind you. I find that in my old age, I could use a part-time assistant. You know, a gopher. Go for this, go for that. An ally, as it were. Would you be interested? Well, of course he would. Wouldn't you, honey? I mean, to work with someone as famous as Mr. Wayne. Sure. I warn you, I can be a difficult taskmaster. I accept nothing short of excellence from all who work for me. I think I can handle it. Very good then, Mr. McGinnis. Welcome to my world.
feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five episodes from Batman Beyond, those being Meltdown, Heroes, Spellbound, Shriek, and A Touch of Cure R.A. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Thank you.